tell you, gentlemen, science has agreed that unless something is done and done quickly, man as the dominant species of life on Earth will be extinct within a year. direction of the president of the united states stay in your homes i repeat stay in your homes your personal safety the safety of the entire city depends upon your full cooperation with the military authorities yes cities nations even civilization itself threatened with annihilation because in one moment of history making violence nature mad rampant wrought its most awesome creation but born in that swirling inferno of radioactive dust were things so horrible, so terrifying, so hideous. There is no word to describe them. We may be witnesses to a biblical prophecy come true, and thus will be destruction and darkness come up in creation, and the beast shall reign over the earth. Yes, the earth, the skies above and the seas below, infested by swarms of nightmare creatures, crueler, deadlier than the armored giants of prehistoric eras. Here is a wild, headlong flight into terror as the desert erupts with the grim battle for survival. Here is a fear-frenzied moment of suspense as mankind totters before a thing that multiplies faster than it can be killed. Here is a desperate plunge into the black depths of the earth where human courage challenges the brute force, the slashing jaws, the poison fangs that guard the subterranean nest where the beast spawns its terrible progeny. Hello everyone and welcome back to The Bloody Pit. I am Rod Barnett, and today I have a returning guest, someone that uh, I guess we're just going to check in once every year or so together on the podcast, uh, as sad as that may seem. Uh, Mark Clark has joined me again today. How are you doing, Mark? Pretty good, but I only get once a year. I mean, can we work on that? It's not my intent, but uh, it does seem to be working out that way. Uh, if you want, we can definitely do things more frequently. I would not be, I would not be against that. But uh, once again, as usual, the the uh, you are the reason we're we're discussing the subject that we are talking about today, which is giant bug movies from the nineteen fifties. Now, I have to state that um, I had never cat, I've never really sat down and gone ah. Here is the list of giant bug movies from the 1950s. It's always just been kind of a, I guess, kind of a, just an amorphous blob of a number of films in my head that I kind of haphazardly threw a lot of films in that don't technically really did really belong there because there were so many movies in the 1950s that involved giant things, most obviously Godzilla. But the, uh, the the thing is, if you're just talking about the giant bug movies, I honestly thought there was probably a rough estimate, 15 or so. But you pointed out to me that there are fewer than that. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the interesting things about these movies. And, and before we even get into that, I just want to say, you know, uh, I have a particular, well... 50s science fiction is my jam of jams. I mean, as much as I love universal horror or hammer or Euro horror or any of that business, 
I, I don't love anything more than I love 1950s sci-fi stuff. And within that is this subset of the, you know, these big bug movies. I have is a particular expression of that that I particularly love. You know, it's sort of like if the whole if my if, if all my like movie fandoms were like classic rock, the big bug movies of the 50s would be like the the guitar solo from Stairway to Heaven. You know, it's sort of like the, the sweet spot inside of this larger body of work. <laughs> that's an interesting comparison. Okay, okay, okay. But, uh, but yeah, but but one of the things that's fascinating about these movies is that there actually are not that many of them, but everybody thinks this was this super prevalent cliche element that was in all these 50s horror movies or science fiction movies. And it's, it, there really were very few. I mean, there are we counted eight, and that's including Cosmic Monsters, which we'll get to, which is sort of a drive-by big bug movie. It, yeah, it, yeah. So it's really only seven where it's the core concept where you're working from, but it but those movies exert this larger than their weight class <laughs> or number of films force on people's imagination. It it comes immediately to mind when you think of. 50 science fiction, you probably think like alien invaders and big bugs, probably like the second thing maybe that pops into your head and one of the first two or three things. And, uh, but they, they really weren't, there really weren't that many of them. And I, I think that's because the concept is so powerful, number one. And number two, at least some of the movies are really good or at least really fun. You know, they, they, they yeah. stand out. Well, the, the, to me, like I say, I think the thing that has just always, kept me from really categorizing just the bug movies and, and enumerating them is that there were, there are so many films from the fifties where we're talking about giant things. I mean, you know, everything from the amazing colossal man and Godzilla to moot to uh, the, the Ray Harryhausen movies that'll, that will feature some kind of uh, creature like 20 uh, beast from 20,000 fathoms or something like that. Right. And so it becomes this big blob of films that you just think of in general terms. But you're right. There really were only eight giant bug movies. And we're even stretching that just a little bit, if you want to be technical, by including movies that involve spiders. Because <laughs> most people most people will tell you right up front, hey, by the way, arachnids are a completely different thing. Well, I will, well, as, I will as, agree with that. As as still. as the kid, as the annoying kid in uh Cosmic Monsters points out, um <laughs> all not all bugs are insects, but all insects are bugs. So arachnids and insects together could we could categorize in the loose term of bugs. So I think we're safe. Well, I mean, we may have we may we may have our first bone of contention here. The 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 little kid character in Cosmic Monsters is actually one of my favorite elements of that particular movie <laughs> because she's she's actually not irritating the way some child characters can be in in films, especially from that period. But all but she's also the, one of the few characters in the movie that seems to be able to talk sense without without sounding like they're uh, they're completely devoid of human emotion. It's very strange. Well, okay, I'll give you that. I mean, she uh, the thing I remember most about that character is that she hates all her teachers. So, so I guess she's got that going for her. <laughs> I just like her because she's this little British kid out in the woods <laughs> pursuing her own interest without any concern for what anybody else thinks. I love that. All right. Never the nevertheless, uh, the eight films that we have here to discuss today. And uh, we will do our best, people, to keep this brief, but you're the one that pushed play on this, so it's your fault. Uh, we'll discuss 
in no no particular order because we'll we'll discuss uh, kind of ordering them as we go. No order, but we have to start with them. Well, I mean, we could we could start with them. Well, I, t- I tell you what, we could go just in uh, chronological order. So, 1954's Them with an exclamation mark, uh, a film that I've known for years. But let's let's just list them off real quickly. 1955's Tarantula. 1950. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Did I jump? There are a couple in night. There's several in 1957. We have the Black Scorpion, the beginning of the end, the Deadly Mantis. And then in 58, we have Earth versus the Spider and Monster from Green Hell and Cosmic Monsters, uh, sometimes known under the title The Strange World of Planet X. Now, one could argue which films in this list are better than the others, and that is partially what we will end up doing today, other than just lovingly talking about the, the elements of the various films that we enjoy. But at the same time... I'm going to ask this up front because it's it's kind of it's kind of like you know going ahead and, and taking a bite out of the meal so that you can get away so that you can stop feeling like you're starving. Uh, Mark, just out of curiosity, out of these eight movies, which one do you think is the worst? Because I think I think that there are two strong contenders for that title. Well, okay, I I, I will give you my answer to that, but I will also say, even the worst movies on this list, I find interesting or charming in some res- in certain respects you know I, I, and I don't think that like remember we had a conversation one of our podcasts where we talked about the spider woman the the, the Gail Sondergaard movie and I don't think it came yeah. across in that I think that movie kind of kind of you know isn't very good <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, believe me believe me your de- your derision for that film did come across yes. <laughs> Well, but what I don't think came across is, is even though I don't think that movie is very good, I actually enjoy it. It's 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 fun, you know, in certain respects. So, so even the movies at the bottom of this list, I do find enjoyable in in some respect. And for me, the the bottom of the barrel is the one we've for some odd reason talked about a bunch already, which is Cosmic Monsters. Okay, which is okay. the U.S. release title for. The British movie *Strange World of Planet X*. That's where the other title comes in. Okay, before we get into a discussion of that one, I would just like to say that uh, I, I actually have a slight difference of opinion with you here. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think shocking. I think the worst of the bunch. Yeah. I think the worst of the bunch is actually *Monster from Green Hell*. I think *Monster from Green Hell* is the cinematic equivalent of fishing around in uh, fishing around in someone's vomit searching for something <laughs> searching for something to eat uh, and there's something edible in there don't get me wrong but boy do you have to wade through a bunch of crap well it's, you I, know I, I, what I did was I took these movies and I I kind of I kind of put them in tiers like like okay. four different shelves and the bottom shelf does in fact include the monster from Green Hell and Cosmic Monsters. That that's that's the lowest rung on the ladder. Without yeah, without a doubt, yeah. So what is it about Cosmic Monsters that makes you like it less than Monster from Green Hell? Because I will well, I'll just illuminate. I'll, I'll I'll enumerate various reasons why I think Monster from Green Hell is uh, bot- the bottom of the barrel on this list. Okay. One one, it has only one thing of interest in it which are the quote-unquote stop-motion wasps slash beetles that we get to see occasionally uh, in the film. That's not bad stop-motion animation. That's not terrible. But 
that this movie this movie is 71 minutes long which is roughly 50 minutes too long because <laughs> about 50 minutes of it maybe not exactly let's be honest is made up of footage from other films that they're that they're matching their actors against correct to to stretch this ridiculously long journey into Africa out and it is so freaking dull it it's it's just there's a there are there are more than i was going to say there was a point but actually there's like multiple points in the movie where you're just like oh my god let us get something please anything interesting please oh my could could a character die maybe that would be interesting maybe a character dies oh man and the thing is here's the magic of monster from green hell if you want to call it that once enough time passes between viewings of it, I forget how terrible it is. <laughs> and I get suckered back into watching the stupid thing again to the point where I was suckered into buying the damn thing on Blu-ray. I, I, wh- why did I do that? I guess the extras, but what am I, what am I doing paying money for Monster from Green Hell? You know, I have everything that's available on Blu-ray among these movies I, I own on Blu-ray. <laughs> no, no Me too. Me too. You know, I, I'm really not the, the person to defend Monster. We should have brought Stephen Bissett on to talk to you about Monster from Green Hell. Because true, he, true. He, 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 wor- he works very hard to do that, yeah. <laughs> he uh, 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 truly loves this movie, and I can't say I truly love it, but um, I put it on the same level and maybe a little bit above Cosmic Monsters for a couple reasons. The uh, You're right about this, the, the stock footage. The, the movie is, I don't know, I would, I would guess literally... 30% footage from a movie called Stanley and Livingstone, which is a jungle adventure type movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and because they wanted to match that footage, the, 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 uh, the scenes they did shoot, they shoot in a kind of very bright uh, way, which is unusual for this sort of film, but it's oh, what they had to do to make it match the uh, Stanley and Livingstone footage. So that's right. not very helpful. <laughs> and at all there is other things about this movie that really bug me the way it portrays the congolese uh in the film is really uh insulting and uh to the indigenous people i mean the africans are backwards yeah. superstitious easily frightened i mean they're just all the worst cliches rolled into one and the story you know that does bog down for like about half its running time while the, while our heroes are safariing, safariing is that a word across <laughs> Africa? If it is, it, if it isn't, it should be. Yes. <laughs> you know, and they're and they're you know they have poisoned water hole, lack of water, and then a rainstorm, and all these sort of stock footage things from the other movie that they contend with. But right. uh, so none of that's necessarily great. Although, if you think of it, I mean, I've, I kind of think of it as like a. a, a a remix of Stanley and Livingstone, where you take uh, you take this uh, footage and they just do something completely different with it, and and at least the, this and the stock footage they use actually is good, you know, and it gives the film a dimension it wouldn't have probably wouldn't well the film probably wouldn't exist without the stock footage, but it oh, definitely no, gives it, it a, yeah. a a dimension that other movies type don't have, and there are certain elements of it that I like, I you know the the um the fact that the the monsters are created because these 
insects were shot into space, they're exposed to like cosmic rays and they fall back to Earth, as opposed to just it's a fallout from the, no pun intended, from you know nuclear experiments or the, the usual thing is clever. And, and the fact that, that they use that device means that they can put these bugs in a place where there were no atom bomb tests in the middle of Africa. Which is true. fresh, true. you know. That's cool. That's a, a nice idea. Um, you know, even though the wasps look more like beetles, they are kind of cool looking. That you know. Uh, yeah, that is the the one point that I will give the film is that those those few seconds of uh, stop motion footage are actually pretty interesting. I I really like the sound effects in that film. Uh, was yeah, uh, they I'll were uh, they're really good. They were created by a. Oscar nominee, they, you know, they they actually got somebody good to do that bit, and the and the the, the monsters, even when they're not on screen, they sound really scary. <laughs> like it's just the sound of them creeping up on you is, is pretty scary. Um, there's um, the other thing I like about that movie is that that's unusual uh, for this type of film. Is it the mo- we see the monsters like almost immediately. And then uh, it kind of cuts back and forth. You see the monsters attack somebody in Africa, and we cut back to the lab in, I guess, the United States somewhere. I forget where. And then they're putting together the expedition and going over there. And, it, and it, so even while they're kind of trekking across, making this long journey to them, they, they do cut back and forth the scenes of the of the bugs, you know, killing people and you know raising hell in Africa. So it, so there's that cutting back and forth. That's I, I don't know of enough that does well. There are other movies that do like like that does happen also in in some like Deadly Mantis and some of the other films, but but it's done pretty well there. I mean, it's got it's got some pluses. It's not a great movie. It's not even a good movie. But you know, it's it's okay. You know, I can I can deal with it. The new Blu-ray looks great. <laughs> True. Uh, now, Cosmic Monsters. On the other, you asked why I like it less. Partially because it's much of a big bug movie. Like in terms of in this text, bugs are around for like ten minutes or something, and they're, they're, and, they're and it's not, all at the and it's all at the end. Yeah, it's and they're not really the main focus story. The story more of a is this uh, slow, dry thing with Forrest Tucker and a bunch of techno babble about. <laughs> you know, creating a new something or other with it, and it's opening a hole in the ozone layer and letting in cosmic rays or some <laughs> some crazy thing. And uh, you know, I generally really like um, British science fiction movies, like classic British science fiction movies, are another little little uh, subset of the fifty science fiction thing that I have a particular affection for. Um, oh, I do too. I do too. And, you know, they tend to be. A little more sober, you know, less hysterical. They tend to have good dialogue and better acting and things of that nature. And for the most part, that's that's pretty true of this movie as well. But that's about all it's got going for it. I think, you know. It, yeah, I mean, it, I really enjoy the the first half of the movie. While we're we're dealing we're we're dealing with the scientists and and their relationships and their them trying to figure out how to do what they're trying to do and are unaware of the dangers that they're accidentally creating, uh, that whole segment of the film I, I I really get a kick out of, which is why, it, it, which is why I like it a little bit more than 
uh, Monster from Green Hell because at least there is a big chunk of cosmic monsters that I can actually enjoy rewatching without thinking, oh, and the payoff is so lame. And it's like, well, <laughs> well, you know, the the payoff in the in Cosmic Monsters isn't that great, but you know, well, the, still, the other thing Cosmic Monsters has going for it is that it it also folds in this element of an extraterrestrial visitor who's involved in right. all this business. Not so, not that not that they're causing it. Or it's not part of an invasion plot or anything like that. They're just sort of around, and the, and they actually wind up helping at the end and so well yeah it's a it's a little uh it's a little reminiscent of day the earth stood still oh uh, yes absolutely alien is yeah. The, yeah so so it's got all these different el- the, the thing about this movie to me is it's got all different elements to it and it's interesting that it has all this stuff in it but none of the elements fit together particularly well and it's not particularly satisfying as a big bug movie i mean just as a general science yeah. fiction movie i might agree that it's better than the monster from Green Hell, but if you're going in, it's looking for a like big bug action. You're going to be let down because there's not much of it. It the footage is not well accomplished. The effects are pretty poor, and uh, you know it's. It, I guess it depends on what you want out of it. As it, it, it is interesting, it's a, a mashup of different kind of uh, concepts and all that sort of thing. And I understand what you're saying. It's pretty well acted. Some of the dialogue is pretty clever. Uh, mm-hmm. Relative to this sort of thing, but just as a big bug movie, I can't I can't rate it very highly. Well, I understand what you're saying. I think one of the things that makes Cosmic Monsters a little more interesting than average we, we've already talked about, but I think that may stem from the fact that it's 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 the only one of these particular films that was adapted from a novel. There was a an actress named uh, was it Irene Broderick. Uh, she was a British stage and screen actress, and she was a novelist as well. And she wrote a novel called The uh, The Strange World of Planet X. It was actually a novelization of a TV serial of the same name. If they they kind of take a, you know the ideas from the novel, the novel sounds very interesting, but it would not have involved any giant bugs at all. <laughs> it would not have had any giant bugs at all. The the book sounds like it's it, it could still be ripe for a decent uh, low key science fiction movie adaptation today. Uh, let's see, um, there are a pair of scientists experimenting with magnetic fields, just like in the movie, uh, and they inadvertently open a pathway from our three dimensional universe into a fourth dimension. One of the two researchers can only visualize the potential for the power that these experiments may bring him, but the other longtime friend and colleague is uh, deeply concerned with the dangers posed by such linkages between the dimensions and the risks entailed by leaving such experiments in the hands of only two men. I think they already uh, made it. It's called Stranger Things. <laughs> yeah, kind of, sort of, only this is much more small-scale than that, yeah. <laughs> but the uh, the uh, idea is to, you know, they, they kind of take that, uh, that, that basic idea, change it around. Essentially, they take the, you know, scientists working on, with magnetic fields and uh, alter it so that uh, it somehow ends up creating giant insects. And, you know, that's valid. That's what we do. Uh, I don't have a problem with that. Let's go ahead and, and change crap around depending on what is popular at the time. Not a shock for any filmmaker. But... When we're comparing Monster from Green Hill and 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 this film, well, first of all, for for those of you curious, you might have seen this film not only under Cosmic Monsters as a title, which I think is the most common way it's been seen in the states, 
but you can find it under the strange world of Planet X, like we were talking about. Uh, and also uh, the crawling terror and the crawling horror. So, uh, you know, keep your eyes peeled if you're searching for a cheap, easy way to see this particular film, regardless of how far far away from it we, we suggest that you run. Yeah. And the uh, It's on YouTube. Yeah. It's yeah, exactly, it's exactly. Not not hard to find. <laughs> it's not difficult to find. Well, I, well, another th- another detriment to cosmic monsters in my book is once we get to the, you know, not particularly great giant insect footage with the full on British military engaging in in you know battle with it. The the the, the prints, all the prints I've ever seen, are too dark. And they, they make it very difficult to really kind of get a grasp of exactly what you're seeing yeah. a lot of the time. Yeah, I've never seen a really pristine version of this film, uh, but I suspect that that's baked into the original elements. That something about the way those those scenes were shot or the effects yeah. overlay for that footage or whatever resulted in those scenes being really dark and, and hard. Although I'm sure the doopy kind of crappy <laughs> version that we have on YouTube or or that I forget was it Wade Williams somebody put it out on DVD it didn't look good there um, either yeah um, yeah it didn't it, it didn't look great in either in either uh in either version yeah but the thing about uh comparing and contrasting those two is okay yeah cosmic monsters maybe you know doesn't have the the stop motion monsters that monster from green hell but it also bores me a lot less than Monster from Green Hell, so that's that's why Monster from Green Hell goes to the bottom of the list for me. But well, I'm not willing to die in a ditch for either one of these movies. So if you like, <laughs> if, you, if you want to be, <laughs> I like that phrase. I'm not willing to die in a ditch for either of these. No, of course not. <laughs> I don't think I'd die in a ditch for the best of these films, but I would at least put up a fight. So yeah, I'm I'm with you. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, you have distracted me with that image. So, if we look for, we look back at our list, and we've kind of uh, already dismissed uh, two of the films as not being particularly great, and we already, I mean, it's it's no secret that both of us think them is astonishing and just a, a, a great movie. So it's going to wind up at the top of the list. I mean, there isn't really much contest there, right? Correct. So, well, and not real... o- and not only that. But every other movie on this list, to one degree or another, copies them. Without them, there wouldn't be any of these other movies. The, the template oh, formula for every all these other movies is them, um, to a greater or lesser agree. degree. So, yeah, not only is it easily the best film on the list, one of the best films of the 50s, I think, but it's uh, every other movie on the list takes um, something from that film, in some cases, a lot from that film. So, yeah, uh, yeah. I <clears throat> I have to admit that uh, I was kind. I was. I've been kind of amused while doing a bunch of uh, doing a bunch of research on on these films and just getting everything lined up in my head. I was running across uh, contra- contrary opinions about them and having uh, more than a few people refer to it as uh, uh, overrated. And I'm just going, "Are you insane?" I'm now having rewatched it again. It's like. If you're calling them overrated, I would love to know what in the hell you were expecting. But then again, those kinds of opinions also seem to stem from people who uh, who think that the Creature from the Black Lagoon films aren't very good. So, Well, and, you know, it's one of those things where familiarity breeds contempt. You know, there are people that will argue 
Citizen Kane or Casablanca or, you know, name your classic, you know, movie yeah. is overrated because I don't know. I mean, and and movies after they get to a certain point, uh, you know, in critical, you know, circles do tend to sort of gather a kind of weight that True. you go into your expectations are different for those movies. And if this mm -hmm. you right, then you think, oh, well, I was really disappointed because I was expecting this phenomenal experience and if for whatever reason you were a little tired or you know what your dinner didn't agree with you or <laughs> whatever you know your kids, something was on your mind yeah your dog was bugging you whatever it was and you just don't connect with it then you're gonna feel like or you're just not you know the other thing about it is you know you can just be at different places in your life and what resonates with you and what doesn't and right just absent any of those other conditions and 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 your reaction to a movie can change but uh, you know, I think you can always walk away from a movie thinking, well, this really wasn't all I hoped it would be or was cracked up to be or whatever. And, you know, that doesn't mean. Well, ex great. Ex expectation. Yeah. Expectations often can uh, alter your perceptions of almost anything. And and the, uh, you know, like, like I say, but I, I do find it kind of silly when someone who's uh, who's writing professionally to one degree or another about uh, films of this type refers to a film of a, of, of a real of real high quality as being overrated. It just sometimes I hate to say it, it just smacks of someone who's attempting to draw attention to themselves. but hey, okay, not a so I would so the other thing and I thought we might talk about this at some point, but maybe uh, maybe we'll, but I'll just go ahead now since you brought this since you're on this topic. I mean sure. I think them and we're not we're, we'll get to actually breaking down the movie later, but I think whenever like whatever you think of as the iconic greatest 50s science fiction movies, whatever that group is for you, the day the earth stood still, the thing, invasion of the body snatchers, forbidden planet, war of the worlds, yeah. incredible shrinking man, whatever you want on that list, them is on that list somewhere. Yeah, I mean, you know. it, ha it almost has to be. It's astonishing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just, it's yeah. So, Anyway, we'll get to them. Are we are we doing these in reverse order? Is that what you've gotten? Kind of, sort of. That's kind of how I'm picturing this. But like I say, once we're in the middle here, it really does become a question of what do you consider to be... Well, what if uh, I tell what, you what I have on tier three, which is a tier immediately above the two we were just talking about? Because this may also be a bone of contention for you. Let's go. Let's, ha let's have it. Okay, so this is my third tier. This is like tier A is them. Tier B are movies that I think are below them but still really good. And then there's this tier in the middle that are better than Green Hell and Cosmic Monsters but not in the same league as the other movies above there. And I think that, that that's a, that's a good way to go. Let's 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 go up the chart here. So what 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 are, what films are in that particular third category? Okay, in the third category I have two movies. And I actually think these two movies are very comparable in a lot of respects, okay. uh, actually. Um, and those two movies are The Deadly Mantis and The Beginning of the End. Okay, okay. I don't know um, if you would put any of those higher into a higher category than that, or if those would be the next, the next two on your list from the bottom up. From the bottom up, it's a close call because... I, once we're past the two we've already talked about, I enjoy all of the rest of the films. Correct. Uh, it's just it's just two different degrees. Same. So uh, yeah. I always find it surprising to me how much I enjoy the Deadly Mantis because it, it has a number of detriments, including <laughs> probably way too much 
military stock footage. But the uh, the things about the Deadly Mantis that make me really, really enjoy it are uh, I love the you know the the, the giant mock up of the the mantis. I love the 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 way the the threat is presented throughout the film. I like the the slow the slow reveal to the to the characters within the movie about what's going on and how they figure it out. Even though the filmmakers were smart enough to make sure that people coming to the theater would see the damn thing early and know what was going on, because hey, we don't want them walking out when we start to bore them with the stock footage. So, um, Deadly Mantis to me is yeah, it's it's definitely uh, it's 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 the middle of the pack. But I find myself surprisingly enjoying it more than uh, more than I always remember it. Once once I'm in the middle of the film again, I'm like, wow, you know, I really do enjoy this film, and I don't think it gets the due that it. I don't think it gets as much credit for how enjoyable I find it, because most people have a tendency to run it down. But at the same time. I'm I'm not gonna die on the hill of the deadly mantis. I mean, there's it's got more than its more than its share of problems. Uh, you know, starting with well, like I say, I mean, deadly mantis has what 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 do we start off with? Like, the do line. I know. Do we really need <laughs> like a, a a full explanation of the freaking radar installations of North America? I mean, it's it's obviously there to pad the film. Okay, it's there to get the film to a particular length. We do not need to. Uh, uh, there are so many ways to have explained that entire thing without spending the amount of time that they do, complete with a map and, you know, <laughs> complete with all of the here are the three lines. Here, here's how this happens. Here's what here's what it's looking for. Here's how we go about this. It's like, yeah, I get it. But seven minutes of this? Come on. We can. Uh, maybe two minutes. I, I'd, I'd give you two minutes because then you're kind of maybe setting in place the the realization that oh, there you know these things really exist and the these things are meant to detect this. But in this film, of course, we're going to end up detecting something different. That's what's going to make it interesting uh, for some of the characters in the film and make it a bit of a little mystery. Cool, cool, cool. But whoa, yeah, the the three radar fences. It's it's pointless. It, it is it's it, 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 it's unnecessary. But hey, I'll give it to them. And I have to say this, and the, 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 this may seem weak tea to someone who feels the same way I just expressed myself. But there's a part of that, even the length of it, that kind of gives me a strange feeling of comfort as I'm watching a movie <laughs> from this period, where it's like. Wow, back then they had to explain this, they felt. It's like we have to tell people this exists. And it's like, it's not really necessary to the narrative, but I don't mind it so much as time goes along. It's unnecessary, don't get me wrong. But well, still, it is part of the weird 50s black and white movie charm for me, too. Yeah, and, and the reason you have all that in The Deadly Mantis is basically because uh, William Allen, who was the producer of the movie, and of course had made several excellent you know movies with with jack arnold as director science you know mm-hmm. 50 sci-fi like to me they're like the linen go back to classic rock they're kind of the linen and mccartney of 50 sci-fi <laughs> but he broke up the band you know and and stopped working with arnold and he's working with nathan Jiren on this one um and he alan had this idea that 
they needed to shrink the budgets for these movies, like the, something something about the returns or whatever. That in order to maintain profitability, they had to they had to make them for less money. So both right. this movie and the Mole People, which is a movie, by the way, I absolutely love. Um, I do too. Uh, <laughs> it gets it gets so much hatred, yeah. but I love the Mole Men. Uh, but but you know, but both of those movies have ridiculous. Well, not not monster for green hell level, but but. It, but exorbitant levels of stock footage at the beginning of them to pad them out. So, cause there's really about an hour of movie in both of these movies <laughs> and yes. there's about 15 minutes of padding, but you know, so that's a negative, you know, Nathan Jaron is no Jack Arnold, uh, no offense. Um, but, uh, no, but I, but I, at the same time, I would not damn Nathan Jaron. I mean, no, he's not Jack Arnold granted, but at the same time, I mean, he did he did know what he was doing. I mean, he made he made a couple of films with Ray Harryhausen, yes. like Twenty Million Miles to Earth, and, yes, and uh, First Men on the Moon, mm-hmm. and uh, I have a lot of affection for a number of his films, and not just you know the science fiction and fantasy films like Jack the Giant Killer and and things like that. I you know he he was a I, I don't know would, would the phrase journeyman director be a good a good one for him? I mean, yeah, that would be fair, and and he is a fact he's he's good. Good at and he and he is generally good at doing what he does here, which is sort of do the scenes in between the scenes people pay the money to see. It was like the the, mm-hmm. the non effects scenes he he handles reasonably well. It's just that, um, it, it, but but they're not quite as sharp as what you get in the Jack Arnold movies. You know, there's there really in in the his best movies he made with you know are the ones with Harryhausen, but. And I don't, I don't including lie. you know, I mean, he he made Seventh Voyage of Sinbad, so let's give the man credit. Yeah, which is my yeah. favorite Harryhausen movie. Uh, yeah, and yeah. and it's also a Nathan Jaron movie, so I, I will give the guy you know credit. But at you know, also this was one of his. I think this was his first movie, if I remember correctly. Uh, no, no. Uh, Second, from what I from what I understand, um, he was working. You know, he did a lot of work and actually won an. Uh, one uh, did he win an Oscar? Yeah, he won an Oscar as an art director. No, no, yeah, but I know uh, that. But I mean, back I mean, in, as back a in and I think he he was yeah, but he was working as uh, art department head for the film The Black Castle in 1952, and uh, director uh, Joseph Pevney dropped out shortly before filming started, and so Juran was asked to take over as director just a few days before the film actually went before the cameras. I didn't so remember. Te- I didn't so the black, yeah, so. The, I didn't remember he directed that, but then the Black Castle, yeah, eminently yeah. forgettable movie. So that might explain why. I, I I enjoy it for the obvious reasons. I mean, you know, Boris Karloff and Lon Chaney Jr. But at the same time, yeah, not not auspicious beginning. But of course, then again, he didn't pick it; it picked him to a to a yeah. large degree. One thing I will give Juran uh, with regard to Deadly Mantis is 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 I think he is primarily responsible for the one sequence in Deadly Mantis that is very effective. And that's the sequence in the fog, where oh, yes. what's his name yes. is 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 driving the lady scientist back to her apartment or whatever, and it's, he's like trying to make out with her or whatever. And, <laughs> yes. And the giant mantis shows up and wrecks a train, wrecks a bus, and even though that sequence doesn't really have a lot of, it doesn't move the plot forward really at all, but it's very effective because it it takes the monster and like humanizes the impact it has on these individual people. We see the, the woman who just got off the bus. Oh, it also has a little literal Luton bus <laughs> scene. In yes. 
Uh, so that, you know, but you see, we see the woman who's affected by this, and it's just, I don't know, it really humanizes the impact of the monster, and it's got the cool, foggy, spooky setting, and it's like the one really good, effective sequence in the movie, I think. But the opening is, it, with all the stock footage, is bad. I find the, the end of the film in the tunnel really anticlimactic. Uh, See, I kind of, I kind of really like the ending. I like having gotten it trapped inside that tunnel. I, 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 I really enjoy that ending, and it may just be because it is so very different from the ways in which these monsters are normally put down. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, I find myself enjoying that ending a lot for for, ver- for various reasons, and it may just be because it is different. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. It, it, it reminds me a little bit of the end of them again. Like like all these movies borrow something from that. You know, with the uh, taking place in the in the you know the tunnels with the uh, with the L.A. Uh, river and uh, yeah. But well, in them, in them though, it, it's it's dudes with flamethrowers, which is oh, yeah, much yeah. cooler. So. Yeah, that's way better. But yeah. The other thing about the Deadly Mantis is that the Mantis looks cool. It is a really, yes, exactly. a really scary monster, cool-looking monster. So there's, it, it's kind of a it's a mixed bag, but it's got its moments. It's got a cool monster. I don't think the cast is very interesting in that movie. I don't think the characters are it's, very interesting. It's, yeah, the cast is not... The cast is not very interesting in the film. I'm I'm not going to argue with that. It's the one. It's the one of these films where some of the faces are familiar, but to be honest, they're not. It's not the kind of familiarity that that uh, really breeds affection. It's just like, oh yeah, I kind of know that face. And so it's it's along the lines of uh, competent enough, well done enough. Thank you. Uh, but let's you know, let's get back to the giant creature. Yeah, it's. It's almost to me the Deadly Mantis is uh, is almost a generic giant monster movie, to a degree. I would yeah exactly. And but see the thing is there are uh, the the pluses for me in the film outweigh the minuses, so that I end up really kind of enjoying it a lot more than my memory always tells me that I will. So so for me I get a kick out of it. So let me let me by way let me uh, jump to the beginning of the end if you don't mind. Because, oh no, no no problem because that's a that's a good place to go. Yeah, be, I originally I originally toyed with with putting the two uh, <laughs> the two Bird Eye Gordon films together just as a as a as a way to discuss to discuss to discuss them. But I think one is one is eh, we'll, we'll we'll discuss one's better than the other, but it depends on how you how you look at it. Yeah. So, so as you were saying, so well, all I was going to say was that the beginning of the end to me those the beginning of the end and the Deadly Mantis are very similar, but they mm-hmm. have opposing strengths and weaknesses. Because, like, the beginning of the end um, has really appealing leads in Peter Graves and Peggy Castle. Agree. Uh, it's written better, more, in, more it's more interesting than The Deadly Mantis is, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, it has that kind of Bird Eye Gordon, young, fun kind of rock and roll vibe going on. Um, it has a, it has a, it has more energy. Than yes, it has expect. much more. Yeah. That is, that is a good way of putting it. It has much more energy. The things that hold it back are number one, that it is such a complete and obvious ripoff of them. I mean, it's like oh, it shot is. for, yeah. it's like, Beat for beat, them over again, only in Illinois and with locusts, you know, so with grasshoppers. True. But uh, um, 
and that's a that's kind of a little tiresome after a while. And the big thing is the effects and the monsters are just not nearly as convincing. Uh, so it's like better characters, kind of more fun generally, but yeah, but not as good of monsters or monsters footage. Um, whereas Deadly Mantis has a really good monster, some really good monster footage, and but the characters are like boring. You don't really care about them, and the, and the plot is is just uh, fill in the blanks. You know, it's like a Mad Lib of a of a fifties big bug movie, and uh, so well, I mean, well, for me, the pro- the problem with beginning of the end is that the the last fifteen minutes, the movie just falls down really hard. Um, I really enjoy the first half of beginning of the end. Agreed. It is almost it is almost the perfect low budget, independently produced giant bug movie of the nineteen fifties till about the forty five minute mark, and then it starts to kind of start. It starts to fray around the edges a little bit. Well, it and gets, by the time it, we get to the end, its ambitions it's, outgrow the budget and its capabilities. It's like once they say mm-hmm. about like, giant monsters invading Chicago is beyond what he should have tried to pull off. Yes, and the special effects, you know, just they do not work except occasionally in in the in the final, you know, in the final act of the movie. Of course, we have the same problem with beginning of the end that we're going to end up having with almost any of Bird Eye Gordon's giant creature things, which is ah, wow, didn't realize that bugs were transparent. What a weird thing. And once you can see through the special effects, they become a good deal less special and pretty <laughs> obvious. And therefore, part of the joy of losing yourself in this fantasy scenario that's playing out before you really drops away. But the charms of this one are are, are really strong for me. The Like I say, for most of the movie, I really enjoy this sucker. It feels like exactly the kind of movie that I wanted like five more examples of <laughs> from this list. Exactly, you know, the 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 way it plays out, the the introductions of the characters, the uh, the premise itself with the you know the uh, the once once again we'll we'll get to another discussion of this kind of thing in a different film, but the idea of trying to find ways to increase. The uh, agricultural yield of farmers <laughs> and things like that—it it becomes this thing where it's—it's it's a wonderful—it's a wonderful way to look at this because it's very much a, a very much a product of its time in many ways, and it would appear, you know, in a science fictional way to be the perfect way to do this. What we'll do, what we'll do is we'll just make strawberries really big, uh, <laughs> and it doesn't matter if they, you know, if they if they taste like warmed over slime. Look, they're, they're really big strawberries. Oh my goodness! And now the bugs have eaten the giant strawberries, and now the bugs are giant. What a terrible terrible ridiculous concept and i want more of it but the the beginning of the end it, it is that ending not just the falling down of the special effects that you pretty much expect from bird eye gordon i mean you kind of you kind of got a great i grade bird eye gordon movies on a curve as far as the special effects are concerned it's like you know how bad is it how good is it it's like you know the way i think about it is the way i think about it rodney is is uh it gets a point across i understand what i'm supposed to be seeing here i can kind of imagine from there (laughs) which is good enough Mm -hmm. for me for this era 
Precisely. I'm and I'm and I'm good with that. That's perfectly okay. But the uh, the ending the ending is weak sauce. The watching the clock as we attempt to find the right frequency that's going to drive the, the the locusts into the lake. It's it, 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 I hate to put it this way, but it's like no, I need dudes with flamethrowers. I'm sorry. <laughs> I need blue. I need dudes with flamethrowers. I need uh, trapping a bug in a tunnel and gassing it to death, which just feels a little bit more interesting. What I yeah. don't need are grasshoppers crawling on photographs of the Chicago skyline as we watch people patiently turn dials more and more frantically as time goes on, attempting to find the right noise. You know, it's just like, eh, okay. Well, I think, I mean, we feel differently about the endings of these two films, but that's an, that's another way that I think these are comparable, is that I, I think the the way the monster is dispatched is not very interesting in either The Deadly Mantis or The Beginning of the End. They're both just kind of boring, which is, and I can under, and I can understand that in both respects. So yeah. it, that just kind of it, to me, like I said, to me these films are very similar, except that one has better characters, one has better visual effects, and um, and honestly, I think, it, I mean, it, it it would be difficult for me to pick one over the other, but I think I would probably if I had if I did do a one to eight ranking, I would probably put Beginning of the End a little over Mantis because I find the the leads just i find the characters more interesting and, and and like you said the first half of the movie is really enjoyable it, it it doesn't have any sequences quite as effective as the fog sequence in the deadly mantis mm-hmm. but everything else about it is generally a little bit like more fun not better but more fun and uh, but yeah they're they're really like there's there's not a whole lot of daylight between these two movies in my opinion they just have different strengths and weaknesses now listen You've known me ever since I came to Paxton. You know I'm not given to hysteria, and you've got to listen to me with an open mind. Take it easy, Ed. Locusts. What are you talking about? I'm talking about giant locusts. Giant locusts are responsible for all of this. (laughs) Are you nuts? No evidence of any explosion, Colonel. Buildings look more like they were hit with a battering ram. We found these guns at the scene. The kind people keep in their homes, and they've been fired. Okay. Lieutenant? Now listen, Tom. These are eight feet tall, some even bigger. They're vicious, merciless killers. Now, Ed. Lieutenant. Lieutenant, phone Springfield again. Tell him I'm still waiting for those specialists. Yes, sir. Frank Johnson is dead. He was killed not half an hour ago. It was horrible. Obviously, you're both under a strain, Won't you listen? You've got to get some soldiers out there before more people are killed. Miss Ames, the governor asked me to exercise discretion in dealing with you. Please don't make it any harder for me than it is. You have to believe us. Listen, you've seen the giant plants out at the lab. Are you trying to tell me you bred these things? In a sense, I did, yes. Well, one of the things that I, I was I was planning to bring up kind of in a wrap-up, but I think it's a good idea to maybe put in people's minds as we're, as we're going through these movies, is that one of the, the, the main things about these movies is because of the nature of the stories that are being told, these movies mostly take place in daylight. Uh, these, are, these are brightly lit... In the you know during you know during the daylight hours kinds of stories, except for as you point out in that that sequence in the Deadly Mantis, which is one of the most atmospheric and and uh, and uh, interesting sequences of that film, and it, and it and it really kind of feels like something that had to be concocted, you know, as a reason to keep that scene to to to, to film that scene that way. But I think it's also very effective because that you have that nighttime attack on the train and the whole nine yards. I think that's pretty darn interesting but most of the time these films are not happening these are not horror movies that are taking place in the dark uh except for 
uh, what looks like the damn dark with the cosmic monsters at the end because we can't see anything that's going on. Monster from Green Hell, beginning of the end, Black Scorpion, all of these movies, most of what we see are in daylight. The only well, way there's, there's some there's some good nighttime scenes in Black Scorpion too. We'll get to Black Scorpion in a minute. True, true, true. But but they're not the norm, and they're definitely not the end sequence, which is you know brightly lit. We want to see everything. We got to do this. This is this is this is the way it's going to be. And the closest we get to any of these films that would have a, a really good reason. For there to be shadows and light and darkness and 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 creepy atmosphere, uh, is Earth versus the Spider, where we're in a cave that is incredibly well lit. But you know, uh, let's just point out that incredibly well lit caves are pretty much the norm for films of this type. I mean, we we got to see what we're doing here, right? So somewhere, somebody set up Klieg lights amongst the stalactites. I guess that gives these a different flavor to start with, because they mostly take place during the day. And they're monster movies. Monster movies have a tendency to take place, at least the scarier parts, in the night. Not these films. And that's something that gives them a, a different flavor overall and also, for me, part of their charm. Well, although that's, while that's true, uh, the more brighter lit, almost sort of quasi-documentary look is common to a lot of 50s sci-fi movies. Um, you know, um, uh, Earth versus the Flying Saucers, uh, mm-hmm. most of the Day of the Earth. Did so, I mean, except for like The Thing or yeah. – I mean, there are exceptions, but a lot of those movies in the 50s are lit in that sort of um, very straightforward way. And, and a part of that's because a lot of those films have special effects that had to be shot with a lot of light. So in order to match that, you're right. They had to have these, you know, you don't get a lot of night scenes. Um, You know, there's some exceptions. The Man from Planet X, you know, is very horror movie, swampy, foggy, kind of, you know, boggy uh, looking. Well, one could argue that part of the reason for that is they're very cleverly hiding their budgetary constraints with the sets that they can build. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, the. it's the terror from beyond space is kind of spooky lit, even though it takes place inside a spaceship mostly. And, yeah. You know, there's, there's some exceptions, but a lot of those films actually are lit in that way. That, that, that and for that reason, because it, because they want to make sure that you can see the effects footage. Well, uh, above, so so you have those two particular films yep. on a on one level, mm-hmm. and then I'm assuming that we now go to the level quite right above that. Correct. And uh, so, which, which films are we talking about in the level quite above that? So the level above that, when this is the level below them, so these are like this the 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 sort of B B plus movies. If them is the A movie, if you want to think of it that way, for me, yeah. those three films are the Black Scorpion. Tarantula and Earth versus the Spider, for various reasons I'm sure we'll get into. And, okay, that's uh, interesting. Um, yeah. I, I actually think I might like Beginning of the End a little bit more than Earth versus the Spider, but we'll get into that. Yeah. Well, it's funny because I tend to think of Earth versus the Spider primarily in comparison with Tarantula, not Beginning of the End. Um, well, I'm, I, say, I say that because they were both Bird Eye Gordon films. And I, I get yeah, that, so, but yeah. no, I, I think. Earth versus the Spider is one of Burt Gordon's best movies, honestly. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, I mean, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna argue with you simply because yeah. I like the film, I like the film quite a bit as well. I mean, just as a, as an aside, um, what 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 are your favorite uh, of Burt I. Gordon's films? Because 
I have a lot of affection for a lot of his movies, even ones that I know are not particularly great. Don't get me wrong. Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I, I like there. There aren't a lot of his movies that I don't like. I'm not particularly a fan yeah, of yeah. Attack of the Puppet People. Um, it's it's a it's an interesting idea that every and then every time I sit down to watch it, I realize, oh, this isn't very interesting, is it? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's but but Earth versus Spider is would be near the top of the list for me. Tormented is really good, even though it doesn't have the giant or shrunken element that most of his movies have. It's a really well. No, but he did. He did finally uh, smarten up and realize it. Well, if special effects are going to be slightly transparent, why can't it be a ghost? There you go. Yes. So, yeah. So they do work really well in the story and it's a good story. It's more of a, it's, it's a straight horror movie as opposed to a science fiction movie. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I like tormented quite a bit as well. Um, I like war of the colossal beast a lot. I mean, of all the, you know, the colossal amazing colossal man is, is good. And the Cyclops is good, but I think it's sort of like where the Colossal Beast is, where he takes the best stuff from those f- first two movies and kind of puts them together into <laughs> the, like the, the more yeah, a complete I, form. Yeah. Um, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Uh, you know, but they're. I mean, they're all. I mean, those those are probably my top three. Uh, those three movies would be probably my top three. And then, Oh, well, I'll be honest. I, 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 t- I tend to try to include uh, the magic sword from 62. I just really enjoy that movie a lot. Oh, that's, uh, that's a, that's a fun one. That would be in there somewhere. I, 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 I sort of, I'm not as fond of fantasy generally as I am science fiction. Okay. And then once you get past the fifties, the edge kind of comes off a little bit for me uh, on the sci-fi fantasy stuff. Horror kicks in big time because things that, as you are well aware, I'm a huge fan of sixties horror, but uh, you know, but uh, yeah, but that's a good one too. It, it doesn't, it's not the one that springs immediately to mind, but it is a good one. I, I'm with you. Uh, I kind of, for me, there's a dividing line with Bert I. Gordon's work that, that, and the the changeover is right after 1965 with Village of the Giants, which uh, I get I have a lot of time for. I really enjoy I enjoy the picture. Don't get me wrong. If you hate Village of the Giants, I understand. <laughs> I mean, it's you know it's you know calling it based on Food of the Gods is is like is like saying the nightmare you had after an Italian dinner is based in Italy. It's it's not really what we're talking about. But at the same time, the movies he he produced after that, they. Even when he went back to try to do things like Empire of the Ants and Food of the Gods in the seventies, I enjoy those movies too. Don't get me wrong, but there's a there's a changeover where he's you know he's changing with the times, and so it's almost as if Village of the Giants is the last of his films that uh, feels like uh, they're from a, uh, a a simpler, more uh, more accepting time as far as you know flaws of of certain types of stories, and so. Everything before that, I, I I get a real kick out of, and everything after that is very hit and miss. So the um, I, I would agree with that, uh, you know. And, and uh, I saw Food of the Gods at the drive-in as a kid when, when it first oh, came wow. out, and I mean, as I loved it. And the, maybe the, the the at the time, you know. And one of the big things that came out of that was it. It I I, I finally read the the book and realized what a crappy job he had done of adapting the book. But I still like the movie anyway. <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, um, I, so I have some affection for the later Burt Gordon movies, but but you're right. There's a there's definitely a, a distinct 
vibe, you know, a distinct body of work, something that unifies them as a sensibility, those those earlier films, that's really, I find really enjoyable. Well, there's a part of me that wants to say that those earlier films in the 50s and 60s, they feel kind of homemade. Um, yeah, I would agree with that. Absolutely. And then after that, there's an there's an attempt to uh, to get a little to get a little bigger and to be a little bit more. Um, I guess adult may be the wrong word, well, but they feel they feel less like something that's uh, that's uh, made with the, made in the way that the earlier movies were. Well, the early movies are like mom and pop movies, and the later movies are like corporate movies. That's a uh, that, there you go. I think you I think you're right. That's a good way to put it. A good way to describe to describe it. So, so let's talk about Earth versus we, the Spider. Um, Earth versus the Spider to me is a fun movie that I always. Here's the weird thing. I I love thinking about going back and rewatching it, and I do enjoy watching it. But every time I watch Earth versus the Spider, I I'm like, oh wow, I forgot. I want to strangle both the teenage characters. <laughs> I, I keep I keep forgetting that <laughs> because both of them are irritatingly stupid in different ways. But that's okay. Um, Poor, poor Carol and Mike need to need to you know they've got a lot of growing up to do you know one's a little too uh, obsessed with something that she should really kind of stop being obsessed with because there's a giant spider stuck stuck around in a cave and she doesn't need to be dragging her damn boyfriend back into the cave when she's aware of it but still what do you think of Earth versus the Spider? Um, well, it's on this tier because I enjoyed it a lot. I just said it's one of my favorite Bird Eye Gordon movies. And like I said, I tend to see this one I, – I tend to think about this one in contrast with Tarantula, you know, because for obvious reasons. Yeah. Um, and there's a school of thought out there that I've encountered in discussions and message boards and things of that nature that Earth versus the Spider is better than Tarantula or at least more fun than Tarantula. And I'm kind of mm, somewhat yeah. kind of open to that and I understand the sentiment, but I don't really agree with it. But I, I, if I you do, use the word if you use the word fun, I can definitely understand where you're coming from. Right. It's not better. Right. It's and, not better. Yeah, that's and that's kind of yeah, I I I more I can't go there, but I can understand why somebody else would, as I guess where I am with it. You know. The the thing, um it, it is a lot of kooky kind of fun. It's like I was a teenage big bug, you know. It, it's got that vibe <laughs> to it. Or I was a teenage entomologist. <laughs> I don't know, something like that. Yeah. Um you know, and thinking of it in contrast with Tarantula, I mean, you know, Tarantula spends a lot of, and we'll talk about this in a minute when we get to Tarantula, but, you know, it's been, there's a lot of elaborate setup and build up to that, you know, and the yeah. origin of Monster, where it comes from and all that. And, and Earth vs. the Spider can't be bothered with any of that. <laughs> I mean, there's no explanation whatsoever for this. It's just a, this thing is just hanging out in a cave. There's no explanation whatsoever for where it came from or why it's there. And nobody even asks them the question: Where the hell did this damn thing come from? Yeah, it, not once. It, it's like it's like Bert, I, uh, Bert, I Gordon figures. You know what? My audience doesn't care, and they just want to get to the monster. So let's just cut to the chase and and get going here. And and it wastes no mm-hmm. time. Gets right down to business. You know, it's again got that youthful energy. Uh, it's that it's it's fun in that way, you know. It's it's it it just delivers the goods, uh, and it, it's got all kinds of silly elements that are kind of you know. You've got your thirty-year-old high school students and their hot rods buzzing around, and uh, <laughs> I love the scene where they have the you know 
the kids decide to have a sock hop in the gym, like right next to the, where the giant monster is supposedly laying dead, well, and they yeah, wake yeah. it let's, up. You know, let's yeah, let's let's be clear that you know it's really just the band that wants to wants to practice, and then the other students filter in behind them. <laughs> but they do show an, an a really frightening lack of understanding <laughs> about what they're next to. It's <laughs> yeah. like, folks. I'm I, don't get me wrong. I would be in there taking a photograph or two and then getting the hell out. I would not be, you know, engaging in the standard teenage dance routine, <laughs> attempting to frug myself into the pants of my beloved next to a giant dead. What I think is a giant dead spider. I would be getting the hell away from it. I'm sorry. Anyway, it's I, I think it's a lot of fun. Um, it, one of the more, most, is, most enjoyable bird eye Gordon movies. It's not. You know, the effects for a Bird Eye Gordon movie are pretty good. I mean, there it's that is, I think, one of the most effective uh, uh, movies from that perspective for him. The scenes yeah. in the cave are, again, kind of goofy but fun at the same time. I mean, there's just there's a lot to like about Earth versus the Spider, and, and I enjoyed it uh, quite a bit. I always enjoy this movie every time I watch it. And that is why I can kind of understand, as we said before, someone thinking better of it than they do of Tarantula. But uh, this, this is this is a because it's because it is fun. It's occasionally dumb as a bag of hammers. <laughs> it's not it's not that there's there's a part of me that wonders if in the original script there was some kind of at least some dialogue between a couple of the adult characters kind of questioning how this thing exists and how it's been missed for so long considering it just seems to have lived in this cave for long enough to accumulate a whole bunch of bones and you know uh yeah. strewn about the place people from the small town have been disappearing for decades apparently <laughs> apparently so it becomes this uh you know it, it, it's not the shall we say the best thought out <laughs> concept for uh what's going on here but i and i do wonder you know like i say if there were things that were cut out along the way because this is a very streamlined film i mean it's not uh it doesn't have the the get up and go that them does but all the get up and go in them is very carefully choreographed and, and pieced together to build upon the story and move it forward every you know every scene in them moves the story forward in one way or another it's it's another puzzle piece or or uh, or shove forward narratively whereas in this film there it, it it does sometimes feel as if we're uh we're getting a slightly pared down version of the story here and it can't escape any modern viewer that we don't know how the spider came to be and that no one seems to care. <laughs> uh, but then again, it, it pales next to some of the more, let's just call them what they are, bizarre bits of illogic. I've already mentioned the incredibly well-lit ca- caverns. Um, the point at which someone actually hol- holds a flashlight in their hand just <laughs> made me giggle. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, we, <laughs> we, we really need that one flashlight. That's going to help a lot. Uh, but the... Um, the things that I every time I go back to this movie, the things that really get under my skin and make me laugh a lot are the uh, uh, the, the the teenage girl who is so desperate to reclaim the uh, object from her dead father that she dropped that she's just going to drag her boy. She she drags her boyfriend back into the cave. I've already mentioned. I I also am kind of amused by the boyfriend who is is reluctant. <laughs> 
is reluctant to go at first because he wants to watch Attack of the Puppet People. Good job, <laughs> Bird Eye Gordon. Let's go ahead and get that poster of the amazing Colossal Man in the background as well. I love it. And then um, we get these two rather irritating teenage characters interacting with each other for long enough to make you realize that you're hoping now the spider comes to li- comes comes back to life and murders them both hideously so we can at least have that as a as a as a fond warm remembrance to hold tight to as the movie continues but we don't get that uh what we do get is pretty interesting i'll just save i'll, I'll just save this okay here, here, here's the thing um uh, my favorite bit of illogic, it's a question that occurs every time I watch this, which is when they decide, okay, we're going to kill this damn spider. I mean, first of all, give the movie credit where it's due. There, there's the initial uh, bout of the authorities tisking the ridiculous story that they're being told. But then really quickly, they go into the cavern and go, okay, it's a damn giant spider. Holy crap. I like that. We We jump, we jump over the... What kind of idiotic story are you trying to tell me? Have you been drinking? We jump over that portion of most of these kinds of stories as quickly as they can. But then we jump to my incredibly long hose for DDT. Uh, how far into the cave they have to go? do they have to go to get to the spider? And do they make DDT hoses that are that long? We're talking, you know, hundreds of yards at the very least. And so, and I love how, um, even if that question occurs to you while you're watching the movie, they, uh, they very smartly undercut the idea of having to see the, the, uh, the hose snake from the truck into the cave mouth. I mean, what couldn't they have just done something like, Oh, we need to get the truck closer to the, to the cavern entrance here just to make it a little bit more believable. Then the last time we see the hose is when the two guys have, have slung it all over their shoulders and are dragging it out of the, uh, the cave after they've uh, supposedly, you know, killed the spider. And it's just one of those things where you're just like, there's no way that's enough hose to get back as far as you guys went because y'all went by so many caverns, a whole bunch of, you know, human skeletons, and then to the web. And it's just one of those things that every time I see this movie, I'm thinking, yeah, that's that's a lot of hose. Well, I gotta I tell guess, you, I gotta tell yeah. you, Rodney, in a movie that features a giant spider that appears with no explanation whatsoever, <laughs> I'm really yes. not worried about is there really enough length of hose in that scene? I mean, it's like if I'm gonna suspend disbelief. <laughs> on one level, <laughs> I'm not really too worried about how much hose they have on hand. And and I actually don't find the teenagers – I mean the teenagers are silly, but so many other aspects of the film are, are kind of goofy that, that I just – they don't really bother me. I, I, roll, I just take it as, as a given for the kind of movie that it, this is and uh, it's um, – you know, it, it, they, don't, they don't really bother me. So, so – I, I can't. I can't to say that I really wanted them to get eaten by the spider. <laughs> <laughs> you won't join me in wishing death on these characters. No, What's wrong? No, with sorry. You? I'll leave that. That's. I'll leave that to you. Well, I will say that I, I don't uh, think they're. Think partic- that, they're not very well written characters. I don't think they're particularly no. great. You know, well performed either. They're, but you know, they're sort of. That, that, that's one of the reasons why I think Tarantula is better. Uh, but anyway. But they're not. Well, they, they don't. They don't I, ruin I, it. There are a couple of there are a couple of the adult characters that I actually find myself getting a kick out of. First of all, the 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 uh, the teacher character played by Ed Kemmer. Uh, he's one of those guys who 
as soon as I see him, I, I realize, oh, I've seen him in a billion things. And then when I figure out where I've seen him, I'm going, oh, wow, that I've seen him in way too many things. <laughs> the, the, the Well, I mean, well, he started out his career on television, early television in the 50s, uh, uh, playing Buzz Corey in Space Patrol. And uh, so by the time he's he moved into movies... In 1958, well, he, he he's, I think he made a film in 56, but in 58 he was in this film and Giant from the Unknown. And I have a lot of time for Giant from the Unknown, even though I know it's a bad film. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I love it, and I can't really defend it, but I do enjoy... One of the reasons I enjoy it is Ed Kemmer. There's something about him that, for me at least, makes almost any gobbledygook he spews sound convincing. Um I, I, he's 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 good enough to get across ridiculous concepts that just really shouldn't work at all. But uh, he he's fun, and the the kind of back and forth that he has with uh, Gene Roth, who plays the sheriff. Uh, Gene Roth Gene Roth is one of those actors who was in a blue jillion things as well. He he almost always seems to play semi effective authority figures. I mean, he turned and he turned up in a lot of films that I think people listening to us to, will, will will be aware of. I mean, he was in Zombies of Muratow and She Demons and uh, a, fil- uh, a film. A uh, film, well, a film that I think a lot of people have a lot of affection for, Attack of the Giant Leeches, where he plays another sheriff in that one. Yep. And so, the thing, the things that I get a a lot of joy about out of this film really are kind of returning to the the silliness of it as you were describing. Yeah. The best bits for me are the the sillier bits that kind of make it more entertaining. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, and you know and I also I share your your affection for Giant from the Unknown. And anytime you want to run this back we, uh, and do another 50s thing, we, we could talk about Richard Kuna sometime. I, I particularly Oh, I'd love to. Yeah, especially those film. those four magic films, yeah. yeah. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think that's the, the appeal of, of earth versus the spider such as it is, you know, in, in a, in a nutshell, it's just that it is kind of just kooky fun. Uh, it, it, it moves fast. It's only like 75 minutes and really wastes no time with anything. It just pedal to the metal the whole time with some silly thing or another, uh, or, a monster attacking somebody. The the scenes where the monster is like rampaging through the town are really good. I mean, they're really, mm-hmm. they're really effective. They're not, not that they're the greatest effects, but they they again get the point across really well. And it's it's pretty menacing. For I mean, it's like that's more you know like in the, the uh, one thing I'll give it over tarantula is tarantula never quite gets into town. You know, it's just it's killing cows <laughs> and people out in the field, but never really gets into town or to to wreak havoc like it like the spider does in Earth versus the Spider. So, yeah, the tar- tar- tarantula is trying to make it to town and then gets napalmed into oblivion. <laughs> so, yeah. but uh, you know, so it, it's got a lot in its favor, even though it's pretty pretty still. It's pretty silly. Respects, yeah. It's it's a silly but entertainingly fun film. Yeah, that's the way I always think of it. Yeah. Uh, well, now we're moving into uh, shall we say the upper tier yep. of films. Uh, and to me, going back and rewatching these, I have to say that of the two, and of course, what we're talking about now would be Tarantula and Black Scorpion, correct? Or the Black Scorpion, if I'm going to be more accurate. I freaking love the Black Scorpion. I think it is an astonishingly fun film. It seems to 
and this always surprises me, it strikes a great balance for me between the 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 fun, silly joys of stop motion special effects and uh, the the uh, a credible monster menace in the story. And the more adult-themed ideas that uh, the, the, these movies need to to bake into them, when all of your characters are actual adults with you know a certain level of competency in whatever field they're supposed to be acting within. And so, for me, every time I go back to the Black Scorpion, I, I, I absolutely love it. And the 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 the, the few detriments uh, I think are pretty obvious, which is when we get into the. Uh, to the less than wonderful shadow special effects that I'm not the biggest fan of at all, but it's just overwhelmed by the sheer power of the awesomeness of the special effects in the stop motion sequence. I it's all the stop motion sequences, uh, and every time I forget, maybe it's because of the title. I always somehow there's enough time between viewings of this thing for me for me to forget that there's oh a lot of black scorpions. I forgot. Holy crap! There's a bunch of them, but the. Uh, the, the, the fun of this is watching the Willis O'Brien special effects, in my opinion. And the thing is, though, I think the story is good, too. Where do you, where do you, where do you fall on the Black Scorpion? Well, I, I, I went through um, about a year, almost exactly a year ago. I, I, I go to a, a convention every year in, uh, in Columbus, Ohio, over Memorial Day weekend. to get together with a bunch of friends of mine from all over the place. And one of our hosts for that convention is uh, uh, my friend Dave Harnack, who has a 16-millimeter uh, movie theater in his house and uh, a vast collection of movies on 16. And uh, we sit around uh, uh, Saturday night <laughs> every every year and watch a surprise selection of movies from his library, usually things new things he's picked up in the last year. One of the things on the on the bill last year was The Black Scorpion. Which was the first time I had seen it on the big screen, you know, projected film on a you know a sizable screen, and right. it really played like gangbusters, and everybody just loved it, and um, and so did I, and it made me go back and rethink the this these movies uh, in terms of, and I went through last year about a year ago, I went through and watched all eight of these movies. Um, uh, again, after doing that, to kind of shore up its what I thought about it, but for many years I thought Tarantula was my number two big bug movie. But after seeing the Black Scorpion again, it has surpassed. It's jumped up above Tarantula. It's now my number two. If I was going to oh, go good. one to yeah, eight, we we are on the same page yeah. here. Then so yeah, but you know I, I they're both really good, and and Earth vs. Spider is a lot of fun too. But the Black Scorpion is just got a lot in its favor um the cast is really good richard denning is really good here and he gets to play a good guy instead of the selfish prick he is and preacher from the black lagoon and a lot of other movies <laughs> yes yes it's got uh maralicious uh mara corday of course as oh, does tarantula yes. but she you know she, they make better use of her <laughs> assets and she's actually really good in this and sure her performance is is really good and uh, but she's a major asset to the movie yeah um, i think she's absolutely great in this film she has she's got a lot of uh, a lot of ground to cover in mm-hmm. her in uh, the role she's got mm-hmm. and she does a very very good job i think she's wonderful yeah there's it, it it follows the basic blueprint of them but not as blatantly as a lot of the other movies um it um you know but of course the main thing is 
that, as you were saying, is the stop motion animation sequences. You know, it's mm-hmm. the only one of these movies that has extensive stop motion animation. You know, the cave sequence is kind of probably the big showcase for the movie with the, you know, there's a scorpion and a spider and this, they call it a worm. I'm not sure what that thing is supposed to be. The scorpion is fighting in the, in the cave, but kind of a centipede or something. I'm not sure what it's supposed to be, but it's, but, um, but that whole sequence is, is a tour de force. (laughs) The train attack sequence that takes place at night again, yes, is the most effective kind of scary attack scene in the movie and it's really well done and the finale in the stadium uh with a scorpion is fighting tanks and a helicopter and all that stuff that's also first rate that reminds me it reminds me a little bit of the finale of earth uh, of uh 20 million miles to earth but yeah but it's anyway it's it's really all really well done i honestly think it should have a bigger reputation than it does i wonder if because it wasn't you know harryhausen uh, uh, if it was, I think it was, a, if it's, it was a Harryhausen movie, <clears throat> it would be, it would have more of a following than it has. And not that people dislike it, but it's not, doesn't immediately rattle off, you know, uh, the tongue for people when they start talking about stop motion animation movies or big bug movies or whatever the way some of these other ones do. But, yeah. uh, but it's, it's really, really good, really well done. There's lots of little things like I like the the practical kind of realistic business, like where they're moving the fallen tree out of the way and stuff like that on the beginning, on the way into San Lorenzo. It feels very grounded in that way. Um, mm-hmm. I like that it, it's set in Mexico's. That's a fresh uh, kind of element. Yeah, it adds it adds to it. It really does. It, it, and there's uh, there's moments where the the setting and the fact that people wearing cowboy hats it almost has kind of a western feel there's a, the people ride horses i mean there's it's got an interesting mix of different elements but unlike say cosmic monsters it mixes a bunch of stuff together but it doesn't really sort of gel here everything works fits together like perfectly and comes it just comes off really really well and and like uh and like them it was another warner brothers movie so who knew warner brothers uh coming up big time in the 50s big bug uh race but uh yeah it's it's excellent i i'm very fond of the black scorpion it also breaks with the uh, a standard tradition uh when we were watching these movies over the past week beth uh beth wanted to break them down in a certain particular way and it's like when when you start thinking about these movies the most obvious thing that everyone jumps to is ah yes you know radiation or fallout causes these giant creatures to appear but that's not true in quite a number of these movies and the black scorpion has one of the more interesting kind of origin stories for its creature which is that it's just kind of some kind of prehistoric monster that somehow has survived into the modern day and um that that makes it unique in a lot of ways right there well it's it's very, it's kind of like the the other movie that 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 uh, Black Scorpion Black Scorpion has obviously takes a lot from them, but the other one it takes a lot from is uh, the Beast from Twenty Thousand Fathoms, and it's got that element yeah. to it. It's not, yeah. uh, you know, coming out of a block of ice; it's coming out of some crevice in the earth. But yeah, and to give credit where credit's due, coming out of a block of ice is what the what the deal is with the uh, supposed prehistoric deadly mantis is. So. Oh, that's right. Yep. Yep. So I mean, they both have they, you know, those. Both of those movies, them and Beast from Twenty Thousand Fathoms, 
were very influential and, and they had a lot of sway in particular on these, this branch of, of, of movies. But, uh, um, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, that's fresh. It's not radiation or anything along those lines that you might, we would assume that it would be, I don't know. It's just, it's a very, very enjoyable film top to bottom, really. Even the scenes without the scorpion, the characters are likable. The setting is interesting. Yeah, there's that sequence where they find the the crashed car and then the dead police officer and mm-hmm. the baby is sitting in its crib and that's a really you know there's a lot there's moments like that that there's none there are no there's no real monster action in that scene but it's sort of hovers over everything like the menace of what you know what happened here it's 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 got right. a kind of almost kind of post apocalyptic kind of it feels like something that could have happened in like a George Romero movie or something. <laughs> a smashed car, yeah. dead cop, baby left on its own. It's like, what the hell happened here? And it is re- very effective because although we know what the title of the movie is, and so we kind of we kind of know where things are going. Right. The the mysterious buildup as the characters suss out what's going on. That that whole sequence, it's one of the rare instances of a sequence in one of these movies that takes place at night. Yep. And the, uh, you know, it's the, the them fishing around in this this destroyed house, can't you know being unable to find uh, you know the 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 dead cop and the 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 people who who had to be the parents for that child that they find, it's. It's it's creepy once they start hearing the kid and looking around. It's it's a very effective sequence, and it really does set the tone very well for what comes after it. It's a it's an exceptional movie, and I share your puzzlement over why it's not better known, especially since it's been relatively easy to see for years now. It's not was there a period of time, and I, I did a little research trying to figure this out. I can't. I was it. Was it something that just wasn't shown on television often, or something like that? Not is it? Is it was there? Not, was there a generation that missed out on it? Not that I know of. I I just think that um, for whatever reason, uh, people tended to gravitate more toward if it was stop. If you're looking for stop motion animation, people would would gravitate more toward uh, things with the Harryhausen name on them, or of course, you know. The three giant eight movies that Willis O'Brien made. We have I can't believe we haven't mentioned the name Willis O'Brien yet, but of course he's the real. We talk about stuff. Oh, I, I, I did. I mentioned I mentioned him earlier when I mentioned the special effects. But, but yeah, we should really hone in on that being the yeah. him being the reason this film is is the standout that it is. But uh, but you know so there was that, and then in terms of the big bug movies, people of course them is always towered above everything else, and then people tend to gravitate to the, I guess the giant spider movies because spiders are. I don't know, it's a bit creepier. I don't know. I don't. I really know what it is, but this was not a movie. Like it's just kind of a. It's there, but it seems like kind of an afterthought for a lot of people. And, yeah. and when they're writing about these movies or discussing these movies, and it's it's just a way better movie than that. I completely agree. I think it is. It's it's one of the best, and it, it is a back and forth fight in my head between it and Tarantula for second place. Um, and that's a, as far as I'm concerned, a good fight to have. I think the, 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 the one element of the black scorpion that falls down are those, those much cheaper kind of shadow special effects that we get in a few scenes, um, uh, as the movie goes on. In other words, they're not full on, uh, they're not full on stop motion sequences. And so they kind of, uh, they, they, they look like what they are, which is cheaper stuff 
to get more uh, menacing attacks in the movie. There are a few moments but, like that. There, there's yeah. there. That is a uh, a moment where the effects are you know, obviously they're just trying to save some money. There's there's mm-hmm. in the cave sequence they run the same shot of the three or four spiders spilling out of behind a uh, a hole in the wall like over and over again. So it looks like there's thirty spiders down there. Uh, when they're uh, really yeah, they're, the, filming, the, they're just running yeah. the same clip over and over again, and you know the and the and the scorpions. I said spiders, but I meant scorpions. And uh, <laughs> the uh, and the scorpions themselves. I mean, in the close-ups, I mean, they are sort of googly-eyed, drooly scorpions. <laughs> they're not the most realistic scorpions <laughs> you're ever going to see. Um, I, I love the image. I love the the poster art image, which is just insane. Yeah, but uh, but all that. Yeah, that to me, those are those are quibbles. Yeah, the 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 sequences are so enjoyable, and the rest of the film is really well done. And the, and it's a good cast, good characters. I mean, there's there's just so much love about this movie that I I can't worry about a bad effect shot here or there or whatever. It's just oh yeah, yeah me it, either. Yeah, I, I don't I just don't care that much. It doesn't bother me that much. And and I have, and I have to say I, I may be unusual in this but i was talking about this earlier but bad special effects don't usually turn me off on a movie especially a movie of a certain vintage because i understand what they were able to do at that point technologically and especially with some of the movies Mm -hmm. we're talking about that weren't mega you know million dollar productions or something and if i understand what they're trying to convey i that's usually good enough for me unless it's like just embarrassingly bad um, well, I, I think the only reason the only reason that I bring it up, the only thing I the only reason I bring it up in this particular movie is simply because there are exceptional special effects, and then there are the ones that aren't, and uh, the, you know the, them moving up against you know rubbing up against each other in the same film is uh, is uh, the reason why uh, I'll mention them or they kind of stand out to one degree or another. And yeah, you're right. Don't get me wrong. Bad special effects are not going to make me dislike uh, a movie that I'm getting a kick out of. Not possible. But the uh, this movie has exceptional special effects, except for those couple of scenes. Yep. yep. And so they and so they do stand out more because it's like, wait a minute, <laughs> this this yeah, is going yeah. really well a second ago. What happened? Yeah, I know. It's like we <laughs> we we get those sequences where you know the, uh, the 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 black scorpion picks up a picks up a person, and it's very obvious that they're about to rip the person in half right before the movie very smartly edits away, and you're just like, my God, that's amazing, that's incredible, and then you know then you get the shadow sequences, and you're like, eh, okay, I'm willing to give it whatever it needs if I can get more of the uh, you know. Uh, ripping the heads off of human beings that I almost saw in that last sequence, you know. Yeah, or the thing tangling with the helicopter or whatever. I mean, there's there's oh, I know. really nice work there. Well, I do love the finale of The Black Scorpion almost, almost insanely to the point where I'll watch it over and over again. The whole thing with needing to get uh, needing to uh, shoot a, a giant metal spear into its neck so that you can electrocute it that whole sequence is just a blast the thing I love about that sequence my favorite I mean it's, it's not even an effects part of it but the, the the thing that that gets me about that sequence is where the guy says well I'm not gonna miss again and grabs at the thing and it still has the voltage running through it and he's electrocuted and falls over dead you know the scene I'm talking about yeah and yeah, that's just like yeah. so shocking and mm-hmm. hardcore 
for this kind of movie, it's like it always puts me back in my seat. <laughs> it's like, damn, it's it's unexpected. Yeah, and and uh, um, uh, and that's just like the kind of thing this movie does, where it's like just a little bit of an element that you wouldn't see coming. That's a little bit more realistic. That's a little bit more in your face. Uh, it mixed in with all this great, you know stop motion animation and everything else. It's, that's, that's kind of emblematic of all the things that the movie does. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, let's move to, uh, the joys that are tarantula, a movie that some people have argued has an element in it that isn't necessarily needed. Uh, but I, I, I would argue that I just, uh, I, I'm all good with it. It's, it's our only film directed by Jack Arnold on this list. Yep. And, uh, that is, that is a wonderful thing. Jack Arnold produced some of the, the best movies of the 1950s for genre fanatics such as us. And uh, Tarantula is no exception to that. Um, where do you fall on Tarantula? I know you like it, or it wouldn't be in the position that we're placing it in. Yeah. But, uh, over- yeah. Like I, like I was saying, for many years I thought of it was my number two. But then in recent recently I've kind of come to the opinion that the Black Scorpion's a, a bit better but it's but Tarantula is still really really good. I have probably watched Tarantula more times than any of the movies on this list. I saw it on the big screen once a couple of years ago too, and it, it really plays well still <laughs> that way. Um, I think um, it's uh, like I said, it, it, it's right it's right there right now. It'd be my number three. You know, I have a lot of you know affection for the. Uh, the Allen and Arnold movies. And this is one of the, you know, near the top of that impressive, you know, list for me. I have a lot of affection for John Agar, <laughs> maybe misplaced. With uh, his, yeah. And it may be displaced that <laughs> in this film, I've forgotten just how much that big giant granite head of his is smiling all the time. <laughs> but, but I, I, this is probably my second favorite Agar movie after the brain from planet Eros. So, and then of course, we get, <laughs> that's a weird, that's a weird choice. Yeah. Oh, but it, that's like the ultimate John Agar movie for me. It's it, he gets to play like two different characters. Sometimes it's he gets to go. He gets to go insane. Yeah. He gets to go oh, insane it's, and it's, wear contacts. Uh, it, it's and take it. Take an axe to a giant brain. Oh, no, it's it, that movie is a trip. I love that movie, and and he and it's sort of like the ultimate John, John Agar movie. Uh, Mar <laughs> Carday is back in this, although kind of uh, un, you know Universal went sort of out of her way to make her look wholesome or even a little at times kind of frumpy here. But still, yeah, you know, yeah. she's she is always good and she's good here. Um, I, I a lot of people complain about it, but I really like the structure of the movie. I like the the opening, the long kind of opening stuff in the laboratory with Leo G. Carroll and the giant rats and everything and and rabbits and um, guinea pigs, guinea pigs, whatever you know, whatever all is crawling around in there. I, you know, the monster is mostly off screen for like the first forty five minutes of an 81 minute movie but it makes an impact whenever it appears and that whole setup to me is really effective it's creepy uh it's it it gives um like marginally more plausible or at least less harebrained reason for the creature to exist and yeah and it gives unlike earth versus spider some reason for the creature to exist um well, once again, we have just like beginning of the end, we have this we we have scientists working to to solve the the coming you know the the coming need for more food for all the Earth's billions. Right. Yep. Yep. 
I'm, yeah, I'm sure Bert I. Gordon saw Tarantula before he made. I think that that's the order that Tarantula. Yeah, oh yeah, it is. If Tarantula was fifty five, yeah. yeah. Uh, but uh, I mean, it has some silly moments. I mean, Agar tasting the pool of Tarantula venom is super gross. I know what an ick moment. And I, th- I, th- I thought I thought the I thought Beth's skin was going to come off of her when he does that. <laughs> and you know, there's the whole thing with you know the army doesn't bat an eye about sending fighter jets out. You know, for a report of a giant tarantula, that seems unlikely, but. Uh, <laughs> I thought about that before, but you're right. It's, uh, another damn giant spider. Send out the who? Who went last time? Who went last time? Yeah, Which, it's okay, interesting. Okay. Uh, I was listening to the commentary because I've seen tarantula so many times. This time I elected to watch it with the commentary. And uh, um, Weaver, uh, Tom Weaver, points out that um, or uh, reveals that apparently they shot a sequence that was edited out of the movie. Where we get more, we get more Clint Eastwood that, that was left, left on the cutting room floor, where he and the other pilot that are going to be flying out um, are talking to their CEO, and they ask the CEO, "What is it? Flying saucers again?" And the guy says, "No, this time it's a giant spider." So it's like, <laughs> which would be kind of a fun sequence to have because it's like maybe there's some unit out there that deals specifically in like bizarro <laughs> UFOs and cryptids and whatever that the, the, the army has at the ready to, to send the jets in. Oh, that would be hilarious, man. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad, don't get me wrong. I'm glad it's not in the movie because it would kind of suddenly make the very serious ending a little more silly than it needs to be. But yeah. Yeah. But, uh, oh. but yeah, but it's, it's, you know, it's pretty effective. The, the visual effects I think are mostly really good. Uh, you know, simple as they are. Uh, compared uh-huh. to, I mean, there's not stop motion, and it's not the giant. Oh, that's another thing. In the in the um, in his commentary, I mean, okay, I don't know if you know Tom. I, I've known Tom. Tom is like one of my oldest friends in this fandom or hobby or whatever you want to call this. I met, mm-hmm. I first met Tom in 1997. I I, uh, I met him and Brian the same weekend at the Fanex in Baltimore and. That would be Brian Sin. Brian Sin, yeah. And so, like, about – I had just met them that day, and then that, that night, uh, Friday night, I guess, uh, me and Brian and Brian's friend Lynn and Tom Weaver and Ron Borst all went out for ice cream, like, at midnight and talking about, you know, goofy movie stuff and everything. And, and, and they've all been – well, unfortunately, Lynn had passed away, but the, but the – We've all been friends ever since then, and and Tom is great. He's been a great uh, resource for me, and it's just do anything for you. Wonderful guy, but dude, Tom, what are you talking about? He in the commentary he t- he says that the spy the 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 essentially if, that the visual effects in Tarantula are better than those in them or the Black Scorpion. Or that, or that they're more real because the spider in tarantula is real, and I'm like, mm, no. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, I can't go that far. They're they're really well done. They do they do feature an actual spider, but they're just not as interesting or compelling, menacing or anything as the creatures that we see in them or the black scorpion. It's just the, those those definitely have the best monsters of all the big bugs. But the tarantula and tarantula is pretty well done and pretty effective. The close-up scenes where you have the big spider mock-up that isn't real are uh, pretty good. And then the, the most of it is, mm-hmm. is the, of course, the spider footage, the, the blown-up spider fo- footage. But uh, 
and once it gets around to being a giant spider movie, it does pretty well with that. And I think they, I think it's on purpose that you have that long opening sequence. I mean, I think that Alan and Arnold understood that the limits of that, you know, of the giant spider concept and tried to give us something else in the meantime to try to meet that out slowly and just give you little glimpses of it until the very end. But, and what they came up with to, to flesh it out and, and stretch it out is, I think, pretty good. The creepy stuff with the, you know, you get a couple of murders and these people walking around, they're all deformed with acromegalia, which, which is not the actual yeah. name of that disease. But, uh, you know, it, yeah, they, yeah, they, they do mispronounce it in the film. Yeah. So it's, um, anyway, it's, it's, it's really good, really satisfying. And I've, I've always loved Tarantula. I'll probably always love that movie, even though it's got its silly moments too. It's not nearly as many as most of the movies on this list. Well, the, uh, it is interesting that the this this nutrient that they've been injecting into these animals to turn them into giant creatures causes acromegaly in humans, or at least something that, and they and they never flat out say this, but clearly it just looks a lot like it, right? Right. Because of what yeah. what it's, you know, because of what it's designed to do, but they don't ever come right out and say that. But it is. One of those strange uh, things that once that element is introduced into the story, you're just like, wow, that is I, I can understand someone thinking, OK, why are we spending time on that? Except that it really does put you in the position of understanding uh, the, the 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 scientist character a little bit better. The one played by Leo G. Carroll. He isn't a mad scientist, but he he uh he, he is one who's been working on something that is dangerous and probably not taking enough precautions along the way to the point where the character, you know, who we, we open the movie with him dying is the one who decided to inject himself with this stuff. It wasn't Leo G. Carroll's character who did it, but at the same time, there should, you know, there should have really been some kind of bar in the way keeping this fellow from experimenting on himself. And then the other character... Am I remembering correctly? There were three of them. Yes. One of them injected himself. No. And we see him die at the beginning of the film, right? So, so what happens is none of this really is Leo, the Leo G. Carroll character, Doctor What's His Face. None of this is really his fault. He's he's out of town or in the in town or whatever is going on. He's not home, and the two his two assistants inject each other. Right. And the first guy we see at the beginning of the film. Is is the is is the one assistant his actual the other doctor and then the other the grad student goes nuts later tries to burn down the lab and injects uh, the Leo G Carroll character with the with the stuff so mm-hmm. he's means well and is you know he he really doesn't do anything wrong. Um, it's his assistants that are impatient and and want to go ahead and start testing this on humans when they're really he he wanted to hold off he didn't he didn't want that to happen and they did it kind of behind his back so and then one of the the second one who actually ends up injecting him out of just anger yes with what's happening to him now and um and and, 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 but here's the thing here's the question here's what i what immediately goes through my mind each time which is 
what did these two guys think was going to happen? Did they think they were going to, to grow really large? Well, <laughs> because that seems to be what's the evidence before their eyes in the laboratory. It's well, like, why are you doing this? That's another thing in the audio commentary that, that Weaver talks about is um, that um, there was apparently a line that was removed. I don't know if it was filmed or they, just never, or they didn't even bother to film it, where the doctor – I think it's the doctor – uh, explains or maybe explains to the Mario Kart 8 character, I can't remember, that the f- that the formula worked like 90% of the time. Uh, the formula works perfectly. But 10% mm-hmm. of the time, the creatures uh, either grow to monstrous, the, the, the people who, the, 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 the test subjects grow to monstrous size or else become deformed and die. So there's these two outcomes that occur less like about 10% of the time, but but 90% of the time it works fine, which would have made more sense. But we don't see any, we only see the weird animals in the film. We don't, and we don't, they don't, and that with that line removed, it's not clear what they were hoping to accomplish by injecting themselves with the with the stuff. That's true, that's true. But I gotta admit, that's one of the very few. Uh, complaints I have about this movie because I think Tarantula, for lack of a better term, I think it just rocks. I think it's <laughs> I think it's a fun film. I think it moves along. I think that it's it's consistently interesting. Uh, there are little nitpicks that I have, which is wow. Back in the fifties, you even wore a, a full suit out in the damn desert. Why are you doing that? Hey, different strokes for different folks, and maybe maybe back then they came with you know little air conditioning units in the armpits. I don't know, but. This is a fun movie, and it's not—it's not very good. Tarantula has never been my favorite Jack Arnold film. There are just too many choices to make on that long list. Correct. But it is—but it is such a solid film. It's just so well done, and it's always one that I enjoy returning to because uh, part part of it is that feeling of uh, a little window into how the 1950s uh, kind of saw itself as a as a society. And uh, others are, are a little small pleasures. Uh, you mentioned the cast. I'll just single out the not just Agar, Mara Corday, and Leo G. Carroll. Nestor Pavia, as the sheriff, is is a joy. He's someone that uh, that Jack Arnold used more than a few times, including in Creature from the Black Lagoon. Right. He's and, and I think I that, love that guy, and he's he's always good in yeah. everything. So I think he's great. And then uh, I also get a real kick out of Hank Patterson. Who uh, is the kind of uh, he's he's the the a little too nosy uh, guy who runs the uh, the hotel where right. uh, John Agar's doctor uh, has his office. Uh, most people will recognize him from either uh, Petticoat Junction or Green Acres. He was Fred Ziffel on Green Acres. He he is a blast in this, and he gets some wonderful little sequences, especially his interchange between uh, the interchange between him and uh, Mara, Mara Corday when she first comes to town is a blast. Yes, uh, but the uh, so there there are a lot of little bitty pieces within this film as well that make it very entertaining and a joy to go back to. There's a real feeling. It's it's strange to say this, but you really do get a kind of a sense of this little town, even though. They, they could have we could have spent a little bit more time kind of looking around at it it really does feel like a real place and of course some of that is done so that we have uh, we, we feel a little bit of a threat when we see the the spider kind of you know arching itself 
on its way toward the uh, the outskirts of the town in the in the final act of the movie. But it's really effective. It gives me uh, it gives me a nice feeling every time I watch it because it just all of all of the pieces work together so effectively. It's just a really entertaining and good film. Yeah, that's why I watch it so many times. Probably so, and I will admit, I have to say, uh, it was a lo- it was back when the Blu-ray first came out. I now remember I did I did listen to Weaver's commentary track back back when the disc first came out, and remember thinking to myself that no, no, Tom, you're you're a little off here. I'm not gonna <laughs> not gonna bring this up the next time I see you, but eh, maybe I should. I don't know. <laughs> it's like you're str- you're str- you're stretching to make a point that I don't think needs to be made. So okay, all right, all right, but now. Let's segue into uh, a very brief, only two minutes left. No, I'm kidding. Uh, let's talk about the one that sits atop the heap, the film that cannot be beat, the movie that we all came to see, Them, from 1954. My goodness, what a movie. When did you first encounter it? Oh, that's an interesting. Uh, you know, it's funny. Uh, when I was thinking about doing this uh, podcast, I was thinking about why do I love these movies so much? You know, and uh, as with many things, um, it of course goes back to when I was a kid. You know, in uh, I grew up in Louisville, Kentucky, and in 1971, from 1971 to 75, WDRB Channel 41, our independent. Uh, at that time, now it's a Fox affiliate. Uh, our, our independent uh, TV station in town had uh, a, a, something they called Fright Night, which was Saturday night double monster movie double feature that uh, I never missed voluntarily. You know, I, I, maybe we were out of town or I was a little kid, so I couldn't stay awake, but that would have been like five, six, seven, eight, nine years old. But I, that was where I encountered a lot of movies that left a major impression on me. And they, mm-hmm. over those five years, they played them three times. So I would oh, have wow. seen it probably all three times. And it was immediately uh, one, of my, one of my favorite movies. Uh, it's just knocked me out. They also showed Tarantula. They showed a few other, uh, you know, showed a lot, they showed a lot of, it wasn't just a shock theater universal package. They showed other things too. Uh, of course, them isn't part of the shock theater package, but but they showed a lot of those movies too. But uh, so that would be where I first encountered it, um, probably when I was five or six years old, uh, sitting cross-legged in the floor in front of my parents' big wooden console TV in Louisville, Kentucky. I think uh, the thing is, I didn't see it until I was a teenager, and I saw it on uh, VHS tape, and uh, it made quite the impression even though i had had some buildup about its qualities from uh from uh my stepmother who was uh was a major science fiction fanatic herself and so it, it it's a movie i've had a lot of affection for for most of my life and it, it, it it's amazing how well it stands the test of time it's really effective even to this day it's the gold standard of this kind of movie it's really i think on un- sort of unimpeachable i mean i know you were talking about people that think it's overrated or whatever but i don't really oh, understand yeah. there, what are, there are people who who say it's overrated yeah. and I, I i roll my eyes i don't them. uh i don't really see that at all um and i think it alone accounts for a lot of the we talked at the very beginning of this discussion about how these movies seem to have a bigger place in people's imagination or memory of what 50 science fiction movies were than actually 
is appropriate to the small number of films that fall into the category. And I think a lot of that's because them is just leaves such a powerful uh, impression. It's so well done. Um, it's beautiful. And it made, it obviously made a lot of money for Warner. Oh, Brothers. it was a huge I mean, hit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, you know, it's, it's uh, beautifully composed and lit the characters are all really well defined. The the cast mm-hmm. is really strong. I mean, you know, Jim Arness and James Whitmore and Ed Gwynn and Joan Weldon, but all the way down to like there are really memorable people in little bit roles. Um, oh, I know lots of them. Lo- too. Lots of them. Uh, it, it the the mystery structure is even though people walked into the movie with the with the ants on the movie poster, you know? Yeah. Um, so you think that structure wouldn't serve the film well, but it does the whole like first part of the movie where they're trying to figure out what's going on and what, what happened here is very effective. Uh, there's certain things like it puts kids in danger at the beginning of the movie. And then again, at the end, which is kind of an unusual thing for movies of this type in that era. Um, True. Well, it always surprises me. Well, it, it's so weird to find out, the, the struggles that the filmmakers had to get the damn thing made. Right. Uh, it was originally conceived as a, like a major production. It's going to be shot in color and in 3d. And then, uh, Warner's started to get cold feet because, well, apparently they always get cold feet with things that things like science fiction movies and stuff like that. They were not, they were not really confident about any of this stuff because quite honestly, I don't think the people at Warner brothers had a lot of faith in science fiction. So, after they'd already decided they were going to do that, they, they started paring away at what was going to be part of the production. So the first thing that they did away with is, okay, we're not going to shoot it in 3D because that's too expensive. And then they decided, well, we're not going to shoot it in color either because that's too expensive. But what we'll do is we'll we'll kind of you know to we'll, we'll kind of still shoot it in widescreen because that that'd be a that'd be a good thing to do. And then they went, no, we're not going to do that either. So it becomes this thing where it's just like. Uh, as the as the pre production of the film went along, more and more of the the stuff that was going to make it a real standout production get pa- got paired away, but they still managed they still managed to make an incredibly good movie. It's almost as if the people making it didn't realize that they were getting their legs chopped out from underneath them as they were trying to get the damn movie off the ground. Well, well, and so on, honestly, Rod, it, it, it I think all those things worked in the movie's favor. I agree. You know, I think that this movie would not lucky, work as we're lucky. It wouldn't work as well in color. It would no. It would not be nearly as effective in color. Correct. So color in three D would would completely under undo a lot of what makes this movie work. And the fact that it's black and white, the fact that it really plays into that whole kind of police procedural kind of element to the beginning of the movie it makes it seem more credible. It just um, all that really, really works. Uh, the, I mean, it would be kind of nice if it had been widescreen to get some of the later shots with the with the with the ants and things. But but for the most part, it's um, just I think it would it would really have worked against the movie. It wouldn't work as well if well at all in color and 3D and all that business. It 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 really helped the film that they wind up not doing that. Um, I agree. I compl- I'm sure I it didn't make Gordon agree. Douglas happy, but but who is the director? But but it definitely worked in his favor ultimately. Yeah, I mean, it makes the film stand out in some interesting ways, simply because you do it does allow the cinematography to get really moody. There's a lot of really beautiful 
photography. Yes. And, uh, and, and he gets to play both outdoors. And then once they move into those, uh, those tunnels underneath Los Angeles, it gets, it gets, it gets the opera. He gets the opportunity to, to really get inventive with some of the lighting. And it's just really nice. The, uh, the, the whole opening of the fe- the, the film taking place out in the, the desert Southwest, it's, it's, well, the deserts of California, actually, but the, the opening locations are just beautiful because we get these, uh, really sharp, stark black and white images that then uh, continue uh, as the film goes along until we do. It's almost as if the film starts out kind of visually large. And then by the, by the time we get to the end, it's kind of like this, it's been this funnel all the way down to the point where it's getting very, very, it's gotten very, very small. And we're in these, we're trapped in these tunnels with these things trying to finish them off. And it's something that the the script, it may have been a conscious thing within the script to kind of function in that way where we start out with this big mystery in the great outdoors and then we're in these tunnels at the end of it. It's, it's, it's a, it's an effective way to move the story and it, and talk about moving. What a script. This thing moves like a shot. Every, I, I mentioned it earlier. There's not a wasted bit of effort in this movie, even scenes that you could understand that they could trim away, like the fantastic scene with Fess Parker as the guy who's spotted the flying, <laughs> right? Uh, the the flying queen and can't get anybody to believe him and is locked up in a nut house. Who's just he's he's having a fit trying to get somebody to believe him so that they'll let him out because he's not crazy. I know it sounds crazy, but I'm telling you, this is what I saw. I'm not I'm not making things up. I wasn't you know it's just a great it's a great scene and it continues to add to the story as it goes along, especially that, that wonderful moment when they're like, no no no, I think he may be crazy. You might want to keep him locked up. Yeah. I don't think he's fine. We don't want him, because they don't want this information to leak out to the public yet. Yeah. Everything works very effectively. One thing builds on the other. It's it it shows the signs of a movie that uh the the pro, the, the 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 pre production process the the script building part of it was really done well yeah it's beautifully structured and the the final scene in the in the the tunnels is uh, uh, parallels the earlier scene in the like ant colony in the desert so it has these two kind of there's a sort of mini climax in the middle of the movie where they find the monsters they go down in the cave they take care of them you know that that's a, that would be for a lot of these movies that would be the big finish you know that that mm-hmm. and that that alone that sequence alone is better than anything in any most of these other movies we've been talking about and then you find out oh no we didn't get them all we gotta we have to keep going here and you get the sequence on the, the little short bit of the sequence on the ship which i think is very effective and then you get, very effective. And then you get the, of course, the the climactic sequence in the tunnels. With then you get kids in danger again, which kind of adds another element to it. And the mothers pacing around and everything. It's there's a lot of they find ways to not only have cool monster action, but connect it to these very human elements that make you invested in that monster action on another level. You know, it's not just. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, that's a cool-looking effect shot, or you know, the car, the spider smashing these cars, or whatever it's doing. It's like there's you, you care about the people and the situation, and uh, of course, I don't want to give away. I mean, I don't. I, yeah, I was gonna say there. I don't want to give away some of the stuff happens at the end, but you know, there's there's there are things that happen that have real kind of more emotional impact than you would expect for a movie of this type from the fifties. 
And that emotional impact always comes out of the blue for me, probably because I forget that it happens. <laughs> yeah. I, I do. I forget because the character the character we're talking about is in so much of the movie. I forget that that particular character doesn't make it to the end. Yeah. And when that when that attack happens, it's rough. Oh, yeah. I mean, you you're not expecting it at all and then it just slaps you and you really feel it. It's 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 the only one of these it's the only one of these movies that has anything that effective in it. Yeah. And 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 it's not like it's just over either. The the the, per, the 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 victims laying there suffering for a bit. I mean, it's it's yeah. in, it's it's pretty pretty hardcore, you know. It, it makes it makes you feel it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but uh, it's I don't know everything. I just love everything about this movie. It's it's a terrific uh, example uh, of this type of film, and uh, the, the the ants look great. Sorry, Tom. I mean, I think the the yeah, I think they're I think they look fantastic. Uh, you know, it, it's and it's cool. There are other specific things about them that I about this particular menace that I think is cool. I like that it's ants. It's it's not something that would immediately seem scary. You know, it's right, not like a spider right. or a scorpion or something. It's like, well, it's just an, it's ants. You know, what's so what about ants? But then, of course, they. Of course, then there's that moment where they show the film of here's what's terrible about ants that almost every movie after this would repeat, where there'd be the scientist with a little, you know, eight millimeter film of the various bugs and showing them how dangerous they really are. Yeah. Um, but in other movies, it would be used to pad the running time, right. it feels like. Where, whereas in this one, I'd forgotten that the the scientist character, who, by the way, is one of the best scientist characters in any of these movies. Yes. He's actually, I forgot he was doing a voiceover the entire time, kind of narrating and talking about right. the stuff that you see on screen. So it doesn't feel like we're just sitting there being shown some nature footage. He's actually, they're actually showing us this stuff so that we are, we're being set up for things that are going to happen in the rest of the movie. It's really good stuff. Yeah. And 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 I forget the scientist's name, but it's Ed Gwynn is the guy that that plays him, and he's really good. And he does, and they write really good narration for him in that scene. And you know, hey, and we know now between them and the beginning of the end that if giant monsters strike, you need to call the Department of Agriculture. <laughs> yes, apparently so, because that's where the most competent scientist <laughs> apparently comes from. But. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, um, I forgot what I was saying there. I got distracted by the Department of Agriculture. But um, well, the, well, here, here's the thing. I mean, oh, well, what I was going to say he, is the other thing I like the, the, about. The, sorry to interrupt, Rod. But uh, oh, that's okay. Uh, but uh, I was just going to point out that the, the scientists in this movie just might be Santa Claus. Oh yes, that's that's true. Yes, monsters on Thirty Fourth Street. Um, but um, monster monsters on Thirty Fourth Street. <laughs> I'm sorry. Were you intending to combine Miracle on 34th Street? Yes, I, I was. Oh, that's brilliant! I I, I want to see that movie. Yes, I really do. That, I want to see Santa. I want to see Santa Claus fighting off monsters. You know, on, I wish uh, I'd, I wish I'd had that idea when I uh, when I, I was in an elevator once. Uh, shared an elevator ride with uh, Roger Corman, and I did not have a pitch ready. If I'd had that idea then, I might have had a movie made by now. You may have. You're right. No, but the other thing I was going to say about the monsters are uh, about the the giant ants is um, not only is it cool that they're like not something you would immediately be scared of, but the other thing I really like about those the ants are you don't need some special, you know, there's it's not like oh my god how do they kill these things you know we do we need a special gas or an oxygen destroyer or whatever, whatever to defeat yeah. the, no you just need to have a lot of whatever you had because there's tons of these damn things. 
and that makes it very effective. It's like believable. You could actually take this out with a rifle or whatever if you had one with enough ammunition. But the problem is that there's there's too there's, many of them. It's a whole colony, and there's tons of them. Yeah. So that that um, it's like either you either need a lot of ammunition, a lot of fire, or like a lot of tall people with like size forty shoes. You need to get Bird Eye Gordon to send over the Amazing Colossal Man to step on this man and. <laughs> Stomp. Yes. Boom, boom, boom. That would work. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, that's that's the whole trope of, oh, this thing is impervious to bullets. It's impervious to this, that, and the other thing. We've got to find so much. I mean, that's present in so many monster movies from the 50s, but not this one. This one. No. The very first time we see someone open up on one of these ants with a machine gun, we see the bullets zipping down its side. Yep. And it's like, ah, okay, okay. You can kill these things if you hit if you hit it enough, you know. So, yep. they're almost like zombies that way. You know, it's like you you know how to where to hit them. You can you can kill them, but the problem is there's too damn many of them, and they're pretty big. And oops, you're a little too close. Yeah, yes, <laughs> but uh, no, just just so many things are are right about this movie. It's just a real, like I said, for whatever reason, a year ago when I when I did uh, that review of all these films, I didn't rewatch them for some reason. I guess because I was felt like I was so familiar with it. But then when we had this podcast coming up, I I, I did go ahead and watch it. I wound up watching all the movies again, but I started off watching them again and and was just knocked out by it. I mean, every single time I see it, this movie and the Beast from Twenty Thousand Fathoms, which we mentioned earlier, every time I see those mm-hmm. movies, it's like. Man, I forgot how good these movies are. I just, yeah, I forgot yeah. this movie is just all like perfect. Everything about this movie works beautifully. I mean, they're really impressive, and then they don't immediately maybe come to mind. I don't think of them necessarily as being like my favorite movies, but every single every single time I see either of those movies, I'm just super knocked out by them. Um, you know, I tend to think of like a you know. The thing, or the day the earth stood still, or forbidden planet, or whatever, like my go-to, like first things that flash into my head. But them is right there with you know just being as good as anything from that era. It's really incredible. It's an exceptional movie, and there's a there's a reason it's the best of the lot. It's the best of the lot in every category. Uh, it you know if 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 you're looking for don't get me wrong. If you're looking for stop motion special effects, you're going to the Black Scorpion. But otherwise, this movie kind of towers above everything else. Well, and, you know, even in terms of effects, uh, even in terms of effects, though, I mean, Vim certainly holds its own. It, it oh, no, no, it, it certainly does. But if you are a fan of that type of special oh, effect, yeah. that's the yeah. kind of thing that you're looking for. Yes. Black Scorpion is 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 your choice. Yeah, oh, but oh yeah. Uh, yeah. stop motion. Them, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The 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 stop motion stuff is uh, in, in a category all its own. You know, for for for, for fans of it, and uh, that's the that's what makes it stand out and kind of away from the rest of the pack of these eight films that we talk about. It's the only movie that incur that. Well, I mean, okay. Monster from Green Hell has whatever you want to call that. Right. I mean, there's well, there, <laughs> whatever there, that there is down. a little bit of stop motion in there. There's one yeah. memorable stop motion scene uh, in particular, but mostly it's like these big puppet things, puppet heads yeah. that poke themselves out from the underbrush yeah. and go ooga booga at the at the characters who are about to supposedly be yeah. eaten. I don't know, but 
Yes. Okay. So not a big surprise that both of us put them at the top, and, and not a lot of variation within the way we would arrange these eight films in a yeah. Uh, th- we, know, are, worst we are we are weirdly in agreement. Right I have to say, I, I was expecting yeah, yeah, much yeah. more uh, contention, but uh, you're obviously more on the ball on this subject than many others, Rodney. So good for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, thank you. Thank you for the compliment. I will be slapping you the next time I see you. Uh, but the uh, well, the thing is, it's so funny because this is the first time I've ever gone through these these eight movies as a group. Mm-hmm. Um, as as often as I've revisited them, I've never just sat down and gone, "Okay, here it is." Part of that is because I've always thought of other movies that I would include in a list of these, but that really aren't bug movies. I mean, you know. The giant claw or monster that challenged the world. Neither one of those actually fit the the definition. But the uh, the, the the fun of going through these in just a week has been wonderful, and it's been fun to to do, to do it with Beth because she immediately started like making a list for like okay, so the best bug. She absolutely loved the uh, the uh, the the giant sized mantis mock-up that people interact with she absolutely loved that yep. that's like one of her favorite things in re-watching these movies and i can kind of understand absolutely it's yep. it's it's pretty darn effective uh we uh the, the 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 idea of like what which film has the best premise uh i i.e the the best kind of uh origin story for what's going on here is uh you know once you once you there, there's a there's a part of you that kind of wants to push away the whole ah radioactivity. So if you if you if you do that, it is kind of, it does kind of come down to tarantula and the black scorpion, where you have these very different ways in which stuff came about, mm-hmm. which I think is pretty freaking cool. Clearly, them as the best story, um, the 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 effects work we've already talked about. Um, I think them also has the best cast and the best characters. I agree. I completely agree. Um, we, you, you and I butted heads a little bit over the, the one that would be at the bottom of the list. For me, it's Monster from Green Hell. For you, it's Cosmic Monsters. Neither one of us are particularly singing those f- films' praises, so not much to talk about there. But uh, I have to say, um, the I, I do love revisiting these for the view of the scientists that are involved in trying to figure out and solve these problems. The... Um, the best of the lot is the uh, the Edmund Gwynn character in uh, them, and it is also a joy to re- to realize rewatching the film that he really is being listened to the entire time. Um, the he's I mean he's a he's a little eccentric at the beginning, but then once everybody's on his wavelength, he's standing beside generals going no 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 we have to do this, and the generals going okay men go do that, and that is very uh, that that that's very gratifying to see because. Honestly, a lot of these movies do have scientists who are having trouble making themselves believed by the uh, by the authorities involved, especially the military. Um, yeah, that's you know that's one of those elements that stretches. That's the one element that kind of I don't know. It's like this minor scientist from the Department of Agriculture is, is, is has this major role in this giant military operation that that stretches credibility a little bit but i'm willing to go well he, he, he doesn't ha- he doesn't have the he doesn't have the military role until uh they they have evidence of uh, an fbi agent and uh state patrol cops who have seen the giant spiders <laughs> like yeah. holy crap and I'm not we're not sure. playing around here this is real yeah. and i'm never quite sure why the james whitmore state patrolman winds up 
going along for the ride the rest of the movie, but he's that is a that is a curiosity. You know, this, I mean, there like, are a couple little like, things that you can pick out a little bit with it, but you know, yeah. it's, it's sort of like who cares kind of stuff because and some is just typical of that era, you know, of it was a more trusting time uh, generally, and people had more faith in you know this is pre Watergate, and people had more faith in their military and and their political leaders and to make the decisions true, true. and all that sort of thing and so it's just sort of like well okay maybe in that era that would have you know that could have happened or they would have said well that guy that you know you've dealt with these things before once you come with this and you can be an advisor or whatever but it's just uh you know it, it, well it could have been solved by a simple throwaway line of the james rns fbi character just saying look i'm having you attached yeah. to me yeah. as we continue this because i want you along for this because of your experience with them already yeah. And you know that a little throwaway line like that would have explained it, but at the same time, it it's it's unnecessary to a yeah. to to a large. Point. It's not. You yeah, know, it's it it's a it's a tiny nit, but uh, yeah, I agree with all that stuff. I give all those pretty much assessments. Um, uh, you could compare them other ways, but it's it's a really interesting. There are really interesting small body of film. Try to fish around to fit anything else might fit the category and. Like other movies up in the art articles, things that people mention. And from the 50s, there aren't any. I mean, like somebody, one of the articles brought up The Fly, but that's not really the same at all. And nope, not uh, at all. And, uh, and then, of course, if you stretch later, you get like 62, you get Mothra. Lots of things after that, you know, eight-legged freaks and Empire of the Ants and all kinds of stuff. But... But just to get to the, the the core area we're talking about here, it, it is a really interesting little subset of movies that I think it, that uh, I've always found particularly enjoyable. And so do I. And I'm hoping that uh, anyone who has actually listened to us for more than two hours uh, enjoys them as well, because you have been along for the ride, folks. Hope you enjoyed it. Um, Mark, I have to say, once again, thank you very much for coming on and doing this. What are you currently working on? I am... Almost finally, believe it or not, done with the 1940s horror movie book. I have a grand total of about six entries left to write for that. So I'm, it's probably going to be oh. done before I see you at Monster Bash. I am impressed. I'm glad to know that. That's cool. Great. great if great. it is finished by then, it'll probably be out sometime next year. Knowing McFarlane's timetable. Uh, I, I know that uh, the gestation period for this particular book has been longer than normal. A lot of things have interfered, not the least of which was COVID. Yes. But uh, glad to see you finally uh, with, the, with the ending on the horizon. That's great to know. Yep. yep. I'm assuming the last six the last six you need to do are, are more obscure movies, but I don't know. No, I saved good stuff for the end. So I intentionally delayed writing about the last three Luton movies, including Cat People, which is one of my all-time favorites. And the plan all along has been for the very last movie that I write about to be Mighty Joe Young. Just oh, okay. okay. So yeah, so I've actually I have a few kind of obscure things to to, to knock out, but but I I saved some good stuff till the end. Because <laughs> I, I found out from the sixties book that it's that was one of my lessons learned because if you do all the good stuff early then you've got then you've got a year of watching nothing but crap and that's nobody's <laughs> idea of a good time 
<laughs> oh well, at least at least with the '60s book, you had uh, you had a co-author. You had Brian Sin working with you. So. Oh, Brian wound up doing half of these entries as well. I, I wound up oh, paving good, and, good, good. And, and had him take on half the entries. So it's a it's a Clark Sin co-production once again. Oh, okay. Brian's stuff has been done for, for sure. some time. He's now working on a whole different book. But uh, what a shock! Yeah, he's uh, he doesn't have kids, and or he has kids that are out of the house and grown up and everything, and and much more. And now he and he's retired, so he's got more capacity than I probably am ever going to have for this kind of business. So he is he is a demon on two legs. Yes, but that's a fact. Mark, once again, thank you very much for coming on to the show. And if anyone listening to us has any uh, opinions or attitudes or comments or anything that you want to talk to us about involving the giant bug movies from the 1950s, the bloody pit at gmail.com is the place to send your missives. And uh, we'll be glad to uh, to hear about what you've got to say. And uh, honestly, Mark, I already see the outline for the next shoot, the next podcast we should do together, which really, really should probably focus on those four those four movies uh, made by the the genius responsible for Giant from the Unknown. And I just watched all four of those again within the last uh, six or eight months, just for fun. I I, ha- I rewatched Giant from the Unknown. Right after the Blu-ray came yep, out. Yeah, I did too. And then when I was out, the last time I was out visiting Brian, I talked him into watching She Demons with me, which he enjoyed much more than he remembered enjoying. And so that huh. set me on watching the other two. And and I, you know, they're all a lot of fun. I think some more so than oh, others. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, they don't get me wrong. They 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 each have their flaws, but they're 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 kind of the knuckleheaded fun that I enjoy so much from that period. So, uh, Mark, once again, thank you very much for coming on the show and, uh, we will talk to you again soon. Okay. All right. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Rodney. Bye. Bye.